0: Greetings, humans. You have entered the Command Zone, your destination
1: for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your
0: stay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Command Zone. This is episode number 23. My name is Jimmy Wong. I'm here with my co-host. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And we have a very special guest today.
2: Introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. This is uh, EDH writer and MTG finance expert Jason Alt.
3: Woo-hoo. Very excited to have you, Jason. Our uh, listeners have been asking for finance advice for a while and we have been, well, we didn't feel we had the expertise necessarily yeah. to give it, but but you do. Um, you might have heard Jason on Brainstorm Brewery podcast. Uh, Money Draft is another podcast. I mean, I feel like you've been on every podcast in the last like couple of <laughs> weeks, Jason. Like how many I'm, have you done?
2: I'm really trying. I'm I'm making the rounds.
3: You're like one of those um, movie stars that has a movie coming out, and then all of a sudden, the week before, I have like a, you know, they're on every TV show. That, are, that it's a deluge. You know, of it's like just they're on Ellen, person. they're on Oprah, they're on David Letterman, they're on Kimmel. Like, it's true. do you have a movie coming out?
2: <laughs> it's called. You is know, something you want to announce?
3: It's The
0: Magic The, the Gathering. The Magic Gathering movie. The
2: Gathering's got a movie coming out, so uh, that's yeah. exciting. Don't I still it, haven't people. gotten a call yet because <laughs> no. I'm telling. Apparently, it. they don't need a fat Gerard Cashman. <laughs>
3: If you could be, if you were gonna play one of the cards in Magic, uh, in the Magic movie, what would it be? Ooh, sorry, I, I dropped would, this. I, 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 didn't... This is I right. don't know.
2: If they couldn't get Vin Diesel, I would do the voice of Karn. Maybe I don't know. Oh, oh that would oh, be sweet. Pretty, pretty Stark of awesome. Wrath, maybe that'd be cool. <laughs>
0: Dude, good answer. I didn't think about Karin being in the movie because it was like, no, that that thing doesn't exist in real life. How would they put that in the movie, but it's a they movie. have this thing called
3: CG. Yeah, it's amazing. I think George Lucas invented it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Vin, I don't know. Vin... The,
2: the problem is, I've always like assumed if there were a magic movie, it would be about the crew of the Weatherlight, and I've just kind of carried that assumption through my whole <laughs> life. And it's- now they have Planeswalkers, and they're like, yeah, we're definitely going to put these planes Planeswalkers walkers, in Planeswalkers, yeah. Because that's what people care about. And I'm like, so who's going to play Miri? And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Well,
0: I'm, uh, I'm, I'm aiming for Vin Diesel to keep up his uh, always playing a plant and just being like Verdoloth or something. Just because of Guardians of the Galaxy yep. now? Yeah, well, he, he was, drives he was fast the Iron cars Giant, too. <laughs> so he could be, he could be <laughs> car in the Iron Giant, I guess. Ooh, there, that'd you be cool. yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs>
3: So uh, do you want to give us, like, a brief history? I know you're sort of the EDH guy on Brainstorm and um, on, you know, a lot of your articles. Like, that's one of your areas of expertise, as it were. How did you get involved in, you know, EDH specifically?
2: Well, it's kind of funny. I really just kind of fell into it. Um, I kind of had a different opinion about EDH. If you listen to older Brainstorm breweries, we kind of tease people, uh, you know, who were oh, yeah, we've EDH We've never heard that players. before. Nope. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, um... I started playing with my wife. Um, well, well, what actually happened was I came into a big collection of EDH stuff. Ah, so nice. one way that um, that uh, I save money, I guess, is by buying huge collections. I was at an event, and Troll and Toad had a whole case of EDH stuff that they were just fire sailing. And I got an even better deal by saying, hey, I'll just buy the whole case. Oh, my goodness. So that makes me excited, a... by the way, because... What's like,
3: like a case, like how many cards are we talking here?
2: It was like a display case. So it was probably like oh. a fat pack box full. <laughs> but, oh, but it
3: was like all display like singles. Yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. baller.
2: Yeah. So, like, the retail was, like, three grand on it, and I, I paid way less than that. Nice. Yeah. I want to so... go up
3: to one of those stands one of these times and be like, I'll just take that case. <laughs>
0: I'll take that.
2: Which one? No, uh, the It's a real power move. Yeah, Yeah. I
3: bet. And be
0: like, the plexiglass, too. Every bit of it. <laughs> you know, I want the actual carry on <laughs> yeah, the case. Just yeah. carry the whole thing out. <laughs>
2: it's
0: like Happy Gilmore. This is
2: unwieldy, but I do look like a baller right yeah. now. Yeah. It's um... like Happy
3: Gilmore, where he's like, <laughs> I don't care. I'll take one of those big checks. Just give it to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: That's great yeah so that was that was my power move for the weekend and I had all this EDH stuff and I was like you know these are the people I want to be trading with anyway because if you trade with spikes they're like do you have Snapcaster mage yeah and I'm like no and they're like well I don't care about any of your other cards <laughs> yeah. you trade with an EDH player they're looking through your binders like oh my God I need this I need this I need yeah like, World's Battle Shaper I've never read that holy hell that's exciting and they they just get real excited about everything because everything's good in EDh mm-hmm. right like, it's the bulk rare format. So, um, I started trading with EDH players and I built a few decks and around this time, uh, I've tried to teach my wife to play magic a few times and I thought I was pretty good at teaching because I'm pretty good at magic. Mm -hmm. So I figured I'd be able to teach her and whatever just never clicked. So she played duels of the planeswalkers, probably 13. Uh And, um, she's like, Oh, Thragtusk is cheating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> wow she caught on that real fast because yeah. uh, the deck had good the, card evaluation like, what like the 4-4 four, four that bounced the creature every turn so yeah. she's like I can just keep replaying the Thragtusk and then I can't lose nice. I was like yeah that's pretty much it so I knew she liked green and do all the Planeswalkers if, if you want to teach somebody to play magic actually don't <laughs> just <laughs> We actually just let the program that Wizards
0: has <laughs> built for that
2: 20 years honing yeah, true. on teaching people like it's they're just mm. it introduces concepts in the right order. It doesn't overcomplicate anything. It doesn't tell them anything. They don't need to know too early. It's mm. just it's really great. So I wish that that had existed, you know, years when you ago when I started <laughs> trying to teach people. Yeah.
3: We actually, um, one of our podcasts, I forget which episode, but, uh, you know, listeners out there, you can check, and we have an episode about how to teach people to play Magic, because it's such a, it's a difficult thing.
0: Yeah, and it's the one way to get people to play, is to teach them this complicated game, so...
3: Duels of you, is a
0: good suggestion. I mean, it's the sure. best,
3: but you can't always, you know, that's like asking somebody to do something when you're not there, kind of. And a lot of times your opportunity to teach people is like, they're there right now and they're asking you questions right. about the game. And it's like, you know, they that, may not be interested in a week or, yeah, or when they get home, you know, because they're going to have their Xbox and their PlayStation sitting right there. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, they're like, yeah, I played one game, and I kind of got it, and then I played Skyrim for 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, that,
2: that'll that happen. So at this uh, time,
3: were you already involved in the finance aspect of um, of the game?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Do
3: you want to talk the, about, the, yeah, how you got involved in finance specifically? Uh, so
2: or... I'm Ryan Bouchard is local to me, mm-hmm. um, and he... Another uh, one of the... Yeah, another Brainstorm Brewery. Uh, he was one of the three Brainstorm Brewery founders. I was at it late again, because I'm friends with Ryan. Um, so I was, I was working as a, a chemist at that point, And, uh, Ryan was like, you know what? Cause Ryan's an engineer. We're both, you know, wasting expensive science degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan was working as an engineer. He's like, you know what? I'm sick of working for the man. And I was like, yeah, I know I'm on a one year contract and I'm going to have to find another job, you know, once this one year's over. So that kind of sucks. And mm. he said, you know, I think I'm just going to do what I've been doing. And He's been backpack trading for years, you know, because that's when he was younger and didn't have the income. He was uh, he was grinding magic pretty hard for uh, a young person, and uh. one of the ways that he funded all his endeavors was by you know value trading and that sort of thing, and buy a listing for value. Um, so he was like, I've been doing this for years. I have all these connections with these dealers. I really feel like I could make a serious stab at it. And not work for the man anymore. So he kind of just quit his job as an engineer abruptly. My one-year contract ended. I still looked for a job in chemistry. But, you know, it's been three years and, you know, we've been doing the whole MTG finance thing basically as our, our, our primary uh, means of making a living that's, for that whole time.
0: That's pretty incredible. That is incredible. I'd say you're living the dream of kids everywhere that don't even realize a <laughs> right, dream can right. be lived in this fashion.
2: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean I, I'm not a millionaire but I mean we're again, I mean I, I I own a house. Yeah. So it's That's so pretty something crazy and it's
3: all on out. the like your your income is fully from uh buying selling trading magic cards.
2: Yeah. And writing about it too. Yeah, yeah, true. I can't
3: believe you built a house out of magic
2: cards. That's that's insane. <laughs> I mean that house isn't paid for. I've got a soul crushing <laughs> oppressive mortgage but I mean
3: Yeah, so does that's America, dude. Yeah, that
2: is America. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the American dream, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: That's uh, that's pretty amazing. So, um, you can see Jason is an expert on finance because anybody who can fund their life, yeah, f- just from that, that's pretty amazing. And also has years of experience. So,
2: yeah. So well, the, weird, the weird part about MTG finance is the stuff that really makes me a lot of money is the easy part. Mm-hmm. The hard part is what your listeners want to hear about. That's the hard part of finance. That's why you know. Uh, they need us to give advice because right. it, the easy part is like people want to sell their collection. So right. you pay less than you were going to sell their collection for, but <laughs> you're going to do the work of picking, you know, they're going to be like, here's a bunch of bulk. And you're going to do the work of picking out everything that's worth buy listing for better than bulk, finding someone to take all the bulk, listing all the singles on TCG player or eBay or Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I you know I do a lot of grindy work and that's what I make most of the money doing. Mm-hmm. Right. The, s- the speculation aspect of it, the whole buy low, sell high, pseudo stock trading, that's um that's a lot sexier. But it's a you know I, I say spec for fun, don't spec to eat.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, also because there is a lot. I mean, like you said, after you get the sort of like, oh wow, did you guys check out the prices on this? We should have bought this like two months ago now. But, mm-hmm. like, the hard part is there's a whole other half of it where it's, like, you got to work to get the profit from this. Just having the card itself doesn't mean anything.
3: Wait, 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 wait. Are you guys saying it's not exactly like Wolf of Wall Street? <laughs> yeah. This is, oh, man. I thought this podcast yeah, was going to be way Street different. Be
2: great. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were going to be, like. I just picked a bulk rare and then just, like, called everybody and told everyone, man, guys. I don't know. I think this bulk rare is going to go up and then. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and then the FBI came and started investigating you. It'd be yeah. awesome. It would be awesome. I thought this podcast was gonna go way differently. <laughs>
0: anyway, <clears throat> uh, all this finance talks does lead us into our main topic today, which is EDH finance one hundred and one. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna sit down and we're really gonna get into it and talk about um, finance specifically in the lens of Commander. <clears throat> and um, Jason, you're gonna help us shed some light on uh sort of the uh, i guess it's gonna be sort of speculative stuff we're also we're, we're gonna talk about common mistakes we're gonna
3: try and sort of cover a broader range of stuff and also answer some viewer questions i mean magic and, uh, is a super expensive hobby um you know for me that's part of the fun of it and yeah. a big part of like what makes it a, a pain um you know because if all if you could just have any card you wanted at any time it wouldn't be as fun right yep but the fact that you can't also is very often like a headache. Uh, it's one of the, the stop gaps in the system that like keeps you from doing the, all the things you want to do. So, you know, I think everybody out there, no matter how much money you have to spend on the game, you know, you just can't go buy every Black Lotus you want, <laughs> you know, or whatever awesome card. So, you know, this is a, a something that every single Magic player has to deal with on some level at some point, Yep. you know, and most people have to deal with it on a pretty big level. Like you just don't have unlimited funds. Yeah. So, you know, Jason's going to hopefully after this cast, you know, you'll have some tips, some strategies on how to, you know, increase your collection without spending a lot more money or get yeah. the cards that you want or or maybe that one big card that you want, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing you want to do, especially if you're just getting into
0: magic, is to mistakenly burn out and go too deep and, and do something and invest in something incorrectly or just not make smart decisions and then sort of be like, oh, you know what, I kind of screwed myself over by not you know buying these things at correct prices i just sort of went to ebay and and did the first buy it now i saw or whatever and you don't want to sort of get discouraged from playing magic because there is a way to maneuver sort of the landscape in a way that is that will
3: help you in the long term so jason well well let's just start with this we've got we've had like i said a lot of questions uh over you know since we started the show and so we've sort of compiled them now I, I, I guess the first question is, like, how is EDH finance? Like, when you said early on, like, these are the people I want to be dealing with. How, you know How is EDH different than sort of the rest of the Magic community as far as finance is concerned?
2: Well, the good news is um, really most of the speculation community hasn't really caught on to how EDH works. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I say people like, oh, I'm aware this works in EDH. And they use that sort of uh, as a secondary justification for card spiking. Mm-hmm. Like almost as an afterthought, so uh, the speculation community really kind of leaves EDH alone because they don't really understand it. Uh, the good news for all of your listeners is you understand EDH, so you understand what's good in EDH. So your gut tells you a lot. Um, it's you know what cards to buy, but it's uh, really going you're you're gonna save money by buying at the right time. Mm-hmm. So the the main. The main EDH-specific thing is EDH-only foils. Uh-huh. So that's um that's what, something yeah, you want to buy at the right time. Uh, well, a card like Chromatic Lantern is uh-huh. an EDH-only foil. Gotcha. Because right. it doesn't get played in any format, but it's a $15 card by sheer virtue of how good it is in EDH. Yeah.
3: That Jimmy, so, Jimmy that's your number one artifact. It um, is. It is yeah. my number one. It does
0: everything you want an artifact to do for...
3: Multicolored decks and somehow didn't even make my list because I'm an idiot. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Jason. The old episode. It's Go ahead. just
2: it's such a boilerplate card you can almost yeah. just overlook it. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the 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 price of the foil, the price of the non-foil is is relatively flat. Like it right. it, it was of like five dollars when it first came out. The lowest it ever really was was like two bucks, mm-hmm. and now it's back up around five. Mm-hmm. You know so. The price didn't fluctuate much. There was never a real good time to buy in on Chromatic Lantern. So, what most of your listeners did was the correct thing, which was just go buy Chromatic Lantern.
3: Just get it. Not too be too strategical about when. Just go get it.
2: Yeah. You could have saved two bucks by waiting, but that's three months you don't have the card. Right. So don't bother. The foil started at twenty five dollars. Holy moly. Went down to about seven. It was seven for four months. Then it spiked up to around, it was 50 at one point, and then it hit about 25. And it's down to, it you 50? know, you can, it, at one point, wow. it was, it, somebody just bought out TCG Player. That's the thing, the way price tracking works is if there were five foil copies, someone dropped 250, and all of a sudden they're like, ah, you're, you're, you know, there are five foil copies for 25. Mm-hmm. So. Someone dropped 125 bucks, and they're like, "I think these are 50 today." And either right. they sold those, or somebody else is like, "No, I've got one in a deck. I'm going to list mine for 39 and just sell it." Right. So that's that's TCG Player is a little gameable that way. Um, but that's that's all we have. If you're looking at the 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 pricing data for the past, a lot of people just scrape TCG Player and use those prices.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they got the nice little graphs on there yeah, to tell yeah. you.
2: But you're like, oh, okay, so so Chromatic Lantern gets spoiled, right? You know, it's, it's October of 2012. You're looking at the spoilers. You see Chromatic Lantern spoiler. You're like, holy heck, that is a card I want in all of my ADH decks. Yeah. And if you're the kind of person that foils out your deck, which I'm not because I would rather just build, a, you know, Another an 11th deck. or 12th deck. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but some people are like, you know what? Uh, the foils look good. I want, you know, I want an all foil deck or I, I just I play with foils.
0: Right, or they have their original deck that they are working to foil yeah,
2: out. Yeah, I think a lot of people yeah. have
3: like, you Just know, a few decks, but there's one they're, they're trying to foil out. So maybe
1: out. Yeah. they
2: buy one foil for that deck and then uh-huh. they buy, you know, three or four non foils. Mm-hmm. So it was probably fine to pay five bucks pre order on Chromatic Lantern or three bucks or whatever it was, you know. I can't imagine it was five dollars pre order. Yeah. I can't imagine it was either. Just because EDH cards tend to get overlooked.
3: EDH players are not, there's not that urgency that a standard player has, so a lot of times it's just like, uh, you know, I'll get it, Uh, but my deck, you know, and it's one of a hundred cards, I don't need it tomorrow, you know, just like a a standard player would need it. There's no
2: release weekend event for EDH. Exactly. (laughs) There's no like, oh man, I need to buy four copies of uh, Sarkin at 50 each, because that first tournament is the day after the set's legal. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so... It was probably okay to pre-order for five bucks on Lantern, mm-hmm. um, just because it wasn't a Yeah, but you you probably didn't want to pre-order at twenty-five, right? <laughs> you could probably be patient and wait for wait for peak supply. So on EDH foils, you can save some money by waiting for peak supply. And what I mean by that is, like, when right before the next set comes out. So right before. Um, what was the second set gate crash gate crash yeah so like three months after rtr came out you were probably at peak uh supply for rtr i mean it it continued to get drafted but that was when your moto redemption was kicking in that's when the
3: market is most saturated basically yeah when
2: when like the the largest percentage of new packs opened are that set right because everybody's drafting only that there's no
3: other real option
2: Mm -hmm. right so that that's for first sets specifically Uh um that time but really like peak gate crash saturations right before dragon's Maze. that's just kind of how it works
0: right and we're coming up on that right now with cons of Stark here because Fate Reforge is going to come out in january so and that set is being opened like crazy because of you know obviously there's a lot of high value stuff in there so what a and good...
2: there's a there uh, the the high value stuff makes it worth redeeming a moto too mm-hmm. so if a set's bad like we saw very little moto redemption on m15 which is why nissa was 40 dollars forever right. right it's probably just why because Rebel Masters... like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a Rebel Master's down to 10. Oh, okay. From 25 yeah. at, at its peak, which is nutty for a non-Mythic that was the box topper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. It's just nutty. But that just says how bad M15 was. It's, it's one of the reasons they're doing away with core sets, because they're not exciting, and they're not really worth redeeming on Moto. Mm-hmm. Are you really going to take all the time to track down your copy of Aether Spouts and whatever on Moto just so you can get a Ravel Master and a Nyssa? Right. Yeah, yeah I don't know if people know it's a lot but of on, work.
3: on Magic online, what you can do is it's digital, but if you um, complete a whole set of cards for for one of the the newer sets, you can actually redeem it for a paper card. So you redeem it on Moto. it comes out of your collection on Moto, and there's a fee, and then they actually send you real world cards, uh, a full set. So, that's a way that sort of moto feeds into the actual real world market mm-hmm. and it affects the market too, because all of a sudden all these people
0: that are redeeming on moto now have these new cards and the market gets, yeah, more then they saturated. sell
3: them
2: and in real yeah, life. They, yeah. they sell either as a set or they sell the singles and mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it used to be big business when the, the fee was a little cheaper. Yeah they, they actually, the fee, yeah.
3: yeah. they actually raised the fee and that's, that's, that's hampered the amount of cards coming in basically to the real world from mm-hmm. moto. Um, has it, has it been a big impact?
2: It's been noticeable, but uh, I mean, it's like when you were going to get Big Redemption was going to be on worthwhile sets anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that stuff, every time there's a good set, we're like, oh, this is the best selling set ever. Right, right. Isn't every set just the best selling set ever? Like for the last, like, (laughs) just about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the
3: game's growing by leaps and bounds. I think uh, we talked about Duel of the Planeswalkers a little earlier off air, but that's been a big thing. I think generationally, too, my theory is that we're right at the age where, like, anybody who started the game and was, like, you know, between the ages of 13 and 16, right? Their kids now are about, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13. And that's the age where you can teach them to play magic because before that, the math's a little bit tough for like a 10-year-old. Yeah, and um, also now you have a lot more disposable income as an adult. Yeah, you know? and then if you don't have kids, or even if you do, yeah, you just have the income. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of like dads and their kids uh, at these events, and I think that it gets the dads back into it too. Yeah, and it's a so. great way to bond with your kid. Every
2: good block is a perfectly good entree point. Yes. Like, yes. if standard just looks dumb, you're like, ah, oh, whatever, and then you're like, wait, I played Ravnica, we're going back to Ravnica. Yeah, then they awesome. start looking at the spoilers. The spoilers get them excited. Yeah, the spoilers are such a good thing for everybody. And oh, definitely. To think that there was a guy called Rancord Elf that was spoiling sets before, and Wizards was like trying to find him and shut him down. And <laughs> it was so funny how like once they took, once they owned it, and they're like, "We're not going to sue anybody. We're going to control the flow of information." Mm-hmm. Right and tease stuff at a strategic time. And it actually became a strategy of like what to spoil when Right. they've done such a good job. And it's been just so good for sales because if you have to bust open packs to see what's in the set, right. you, how much are you going to buy? Not that. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, like
2: based on spoilers, I've bought cases of new sets.
3: Right.
0: I would right. never
2: buy a case blind. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. If, if I were asked to commit to modern masters to, I would do it. Today, yeah. I would actually, buy cases of to modern masters two blind. Yeah. But,
3: I'm, I'm like calling my LGS being like, can I pre-order yet? Can I pre-order yet? Can I pre-order yet? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now... Well, you know, that's funny because it's a huge turnaround from Magic in the early days. I've told the guys about this because I basically started when Beta was there and um, they didn't even release the set. Like after the cards were out, they didn't even release like a list of what the cards were. (laughs) So like people didn't know like what all the cards in the set were and you'd hear these rumors of like there's this 5-5 and it only costs two mana (laughs) and you know, when it... it, it, You know... That's great. Like there was like nobody knew what the cards were they yeah. just didn't release that and so they've come like so full circle on that and realized like no people want to know and they want to know beforehand and they want to know what they're getting themselves into and i bet it's a big boon for finance people like you jason who can like start to formulate you know you have such this vast knowledge of how the cards work financially mm-hmm. does this give, you know it must give you a huge advantage um as far as speculating as far as knowing like how much of a set to buy and whatnot
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's a bit of a level playing field, but honestly, for new sets, if you're not doing pre-sales, it doesn't make a ton of sense to 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 buy a ton of sealed product. Um, you know, if I I took you know five hundred bucks and bought a case versus five hundred bucks and strategically buying singles, that might be a better way to go. But honestly, I'd rather buy collections with that five hundred. Right. Well, that's
3: that's really interesting though. Um you know and our next question is kind of like what are common mistakes that edh players make and i know a lot of people and i do this geez just like the new sets comes out and we just buy a couple boxes like you know yeah. somes to draft with but literally like i've cracked at least two boxes on like every set for the last couple of years
2: you know i and- don't i don't know how much of a mistake that is i think your listeners are a little bit better at finance than they think mm-hmm. uh, at least in terms of buying like I, it, the mistake people make is not selling at the right time. And just because they never think about it, because. They have their cards, they don't want to go. Yeah, they don't have selling, rotation either. Yeah, selling Selling's hard. Yeah, well, EDH yeah. never rotates, but I mean. But to, there's still better times
3: the, to sell your cards and yeah. get value out of them, right? If you're,
2: if you're going to. Mm-hmm. Because in, unless you just play EDH and you only buy the singles you want, uh, in which case, I guess just watch prices and buy when they're uh, rebounding. Yeah. Like right. wait for a downward trend to stop. Like, never try to grab a falling knife, I think, is the, the term in actual finance. Ah, okay,
0: that's I like that.
2: <laughs> yeah. So just, just wait for the price to rebound a little. You know, um, uh, Don't buy too early. If you can afford to wait. But, I mean, some of these cards, what are you saving? If it's below a $4 card, do yeah,
0: you Yeah, really, you're waiting to save another 20 cents. Yeah,
2: exactly. Every rare is going to be like a buck or you know, a couple bucks when the set first releases. And hype is a big deal. Painseer was sold out for twelve dollars on Star City. Really? Yeah. Because Star City's just like, hey, hype. two dollars a card, and then they sold out a two dollar Painseer. They're like, yeah, let's put it back up for four. They sold out a four four dollar Painseer. Jeez. Put it back up for eight, and it hit twelve, and and they're like, all right, twelve bucks. And this is
3: just people just thinking this that just this hype. card was going to be because Painseer's the sort of dark confident wannabe. Is that right? I mean. It's the inspired
2: ability. Yeah. The inspired <laughs> Dark Confidant until people realized there, there wasn't really a way to, to use it. tap a grizzly bear without having him swing into a courser of cruffix and die. Right. Yeah. So uh, that, that was too bad. Um, yeah, it's interesting but, how seeing something
0: simply be out of stock immediately raises its prices because then the demand seems to get higher and people are like oh my gosh is this a fire is this like the sale that i need to get in on right now
2: and and like it's so funny sets in yeah one one tip i i would give to your uh to your listeners i buy most of my pre-sale stuff on ebay now it's riskier i've had orders get canceled on me i've had to, to right. fight people and that's a pain, and nobody wants that. People just want their cards. But since I'm buying speculatively, I'm like, all right, that's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. If you just want the cards and go with your Star Cities and your you know cool stuff inks and your, your sites that are going to send you the cards no matter what, they'll right. you'll pay a premium, but you'll get your cards. Right. And uh, that- but but if you can wait, just wait. And I would use a, a few more sources of information. Don't have your favorite site. Um, Go to a few different places. And eBay, everybody's competing with each other. Nobody's competing with StarCity on starcity.com.
3: Right. They're just, yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, Market just places, going each other. marketplaces are the best place for buyers. Well, TZG okay. player, they're, they're competing with each other, too. So. Right. Yep. That's, re- uh, that's a good example of a marketplace. That's the reason a- that
0: I really like eBay, too, is that you'll often, and as a magic player, this should just come sort of naturally, is like you'll often capitalize on someone else's mistake. Of either listing a card that they didn't maybe they listed the card the day earlier, and the next day it suddenly jumped you know 10, 20 dollars because someone realized this whatever interaction happened and and they still have the card for a lower price and if you're just being diligent and looking for the cards that you are specking on, you can often find stuff like the the one lonely auction that may not be operated by a huge marketplace that just sees something slip under the radar and get a great deal on something.
2: You know what you do? You spell the card name wrong.
0: I I was just about to say that.
2: You know how many Jace the Mind Sculptor with an E I've gotten for forty five dollars because there was <laughs> one bid. Yep, I got a Noble
0: Hierarch for thirty bucks.
3: Oh, that's brilliant.
2: I yeah, never
0: thought of because that. Because hierarch and also celestial colonnade, you do it with different letters. One N and colonnade one yeah. N or, or two <laughs> L's. And oftentimes, someone will list a card and just not realize that they've spelled it wrong. And it, well, I well, they're also
3: checking prices versus their card. Yeah. incorrectly too, if they're spelling it wrong. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, I also stumbled upon it because I I, I you had no idea it. how. To, how to, yeah, and I was like, why are there only two how options? How do I spell hierarch? Why is this at the dollar? And I was like, oh, I've
2: I've gamed the system. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, you accidentally meta? figured out a uh, a finance life hack. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I thought I was going to come tell your listeners something brand new, and yeah, yeah you figured that out. That's we cool. We never told them that, though. Yeah, so, we've never told them that. That's, so that's new to br- me. I'm, it's that's, really I'm, makes me yeah. happy
0: that you also Excuse prescribed me, wait. to this. Were you literally keeping that a secret from me? Yes. <laughs> you bastard. No, 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 no. You should see, I have saved searches on, on my eBay app that are like uh, random misspellings of stuff, sellers that I know like to list stuff really low and just let the auction be bid instead of saying a buy it now price.
2: My favorite um, is dual land with an E. Oh, <laughs> there's only oh, wow. one dual land, and it's arena.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My lands are gonna fight each other. That's really funny. I, I yeah, I didn't realize that too. Yeah, so yeah, like eBay is is like human error is prevalent on eBay and stuff like shop Goodwill and mm-hmm. places like TCG Player, where it wouldn't be as much because those sites are designed to make sure that you know what the other prices of the card are that you're listing.
3: So there's less room on TCG Player. For you to sort of get an amount awesome yeah. deal, yeah, that makes sense. Pretty interesting. But,
2: but all of those are those are just shenanigans, and that's if you need something older. Yeah. Um, on its own, EDH is not really driving prices of non mythics up a ton. If you look at something like Cold Oath of Forge Master, Cold Oath of Forge Master, I wrote a whole article in Quiet Speculation about why it didn't spike more than it did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was noticed. In on camera in a top eight uh, legacy mud deck, and mm-hmm. this was a legacy mud deck that wasn't running candelabra, so the whole deck was like a couple hundred bucks. So, wow. um, I mean, it, it's got an expensive mana base with city of traders yeah. and stuff like that, but I mean, it's you can't run shops because it's not a vintage deck, and if you're not running the candelabras, and like I don't really think mud needs to run candelabra because metalworker makes your mana so good. Um, right. That's still amazing if you can get a legacy deck for that cheap. the guy top aided the second or third biggest Grand Prix ever wow with the, with four forge masters in his deck and it was a card that gets played in duretti decks and duretti had just been spoiled that week, mm-hmm. you know so it was G p Edison plus the the ready d h com- deck coming out and Cola the Forge master went from like Fifty cents to a buck. Fifty on TCG player.
3: <laughs> it barely so moved. So it tripled. Hey, let's, but... let's read the card really quick, just so. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: It's
0: a five-drop artifact creature construct. It's a three-five, um, and you tap it to sacrifice three artifacts. Search your library for an artifact card and put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library.
3: Well, we all our listeners know why that's powerful.
2: Yeah. Because you and go it's... get a Blightsteel steel colossus yeah. and then laugh maniacally. Yeah. That's what the, that sounds like an EDH play, but that's yes. what one of the wins in the Legacy deck was go get Blightsteel and GM Swiftfoot boots on it, which sounds familiar (laughs) to you. That sounds like EDH. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like
3: EDH. Dude, we can win it at Legacy GPs. This is
0: awesome. Yeah, let's do it. I'm going to take apart all my decks right now.
2: (laughs) And you get more than one Forge Master
3: right
0: you yeah. can have four of them that's cheating <laughs> it only went <laughs> <laughs> played,
2: like four forge masters <laughs> cheats yeah so um and it,
3: it barely it barely moved the needle though which is weird because you would think a deck that was cheap to put together that you could play in legacy and actually be competitive with would immediately people would want to put it would want to make that deck right. right well relatively but it, the but it wasn't moves. it wasn't new
2: and exciting and the uh. card was the card was too new. so the like the deck was was it's like an old tier four deck or whatever from legacy everyone knows about mud mm-hmm. and it wasn't an old card that went from unplayed to suddenly like hey i might like to build that deck so if you look at something like the top eight at a star city open not even a big gp but just like a star city open with a couple hundred people
1: mm-hmm.
2: that um that food chain mist hollow Griffin deck food chain went from like five bucks to 25 bucks overnight Mm -hmm. And Food Chain is a card that, when Miss Hollow Griffin was spoiled, had gone up. And EDH players, I don't need to make the case for Food Chain to EDH players, because I have a Prosh deck and a Maelstrom Wanderer deck. Like, I'm all about Food Chain, and and any deck with tokens, what you do is you can sacrifice a creature... To add that mana, mana. Well, it's X plus one, so if you sacrifice a token with a converted mana cost of zero, you get one mana. Yeah. Which is why it's so good in Prosh, because you can go infinite, and if you have something like... Blood Artist and a Sack Outlet, or you have, um, oh, yeah, Perforos, or uh, yeah, you just kill everybody. Yeah, you, yeah, Perforos
3: just... would just mean that every time a token comes into play, you're doing two damage to everybody. And with Food Chain and Prosh, you can basically keep casting them over and over and over again because every time you do, you sack all the tokens, just make enough mana to cast them again. Yeah,
2: so. right, because Prosh costs two more mana, which gives you more tokens. Yep, you sack the more tokens to pay the extra cost, and then you just keep going great yeah, a big loop it's great um till somebody but counterspells
3: leeching. you after you've cast him for the fourth fifth sixth time and then all of a sudden you can never cast him again that game because he costs like 22 mana <laughs> Do people not play caverns
2: <laughs> yeah i've definitely had my i've
3: had my, <laughs> you can get yourself in trouble
2: yeah, it would cost ten thousand mana to cast him out of the command zone. Yeah, I'm not winning.
3: <laughs> I'm not winning now.
2: <laughs> well, you find a way to win without Prosh, I guess.
3: Yeah, that's one of the things we try to impart to people is like when you build things like your Prosh deck, make sure that you have other cards in the game or that, in your deck that yeah. can win if you know if he gets tucked or or
2: that happens. So
3: people don't always do that though. Yeah, that's right.
2: So if a card's relatively relatively recent, non-mythic, it's going to be tough for EDH alone to to. To move the needle, as mm-hmm. you said, and one of the reasons for that is, EDH players think about their deck, and if it's good in one deck, they'll buy one copy. They'll buy four copies if it's good in four decks. Right,
3: but there's not but a lot standard of cards players that are, are gonna...
2: like I probably need a playset of that, and a playset in eBay or an EDH is one copy. Right, so <laughs> that's that makes it tough to uh, to move the prices a little bit, and also. There's no sense of urgency in EDH, also because you can just pick up the card whenever, and um, you know there's no big tournament. So for a lot of those reasons, EDH finance is not as difficult. Um, Your gut is going to be the best uh, the best tool. You know you could get some advice from me, but I think you already know what you want to play. Like you see, see the unwritten or narset oh yeah like people were building narset decks before the entire set was even spoiled Yeah, (laughs) players know what they want and the fact that you know what you want means you know what edh players want because everyone's going to see those same cards and go oh that's going to be really good Mm -hmm. so you know what's going to be good in edh and that helps you figure out what foils to trade for i was trading for foil narsets at the pre-release just on a whim because i was like this is good in edh and everyone's gonna look and see Narset's pre-selling for three fifty, and be like, "I don't know, how about seven for the foil?"
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: because there's not foil prices yet, so right. everyone's gonna be like, uh, "You know, it's it's usually a two x multiplier for foils," mm-hmm. and uh, nobody knew if the pre-release stamp was gonna make the card worth more or less. Right. The jury's still out on that because some people think the pre-release stamp would make it worth more, but Star City selling a pre-release stamp Narset for fifteen and the regular foil for twenty-five. I think the last time I checked, so. Oh wow! SCG I didn't realize it jumped
0: so much either. That's amazing.
2: But I mean, Narset's its probably—it's one of the best. It's like it's replaced Maelstrom Water as like the cheatiest deck. Oh, she's oh, broken. Yeah. She yeah. is totally broken. Yeah, get her out. We turn. all but knew that was going to happen. As long we as saw it. talking about it, Narset, every EDH player knows how to do the next logical step, which is what sometimes, you know, standard focused financiers don't do, which is pretend you can't make any money on Narset. This is going to create a new scenario. It's an event, and any event, there's financial opportunity. So every EDH player looked at Narset and went, Oh, Proteus staff. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So now all of a sudden, everybody's going to want that. The FOIL Proteus staff went up, and financiers mm-hmm. didn't even notice. So the non FOIL price hasn't gone up yet. It's going to. But it hasn't gone up yet, but the foil price jumped precipitously. I want to say the foil went from like 12-ish to 25-ish or something like
0: that. Now, is that because EDH players just aren't like going to websites and posting about their specs and stuff? They're just sort of buying it
2: as they need it? And yeah, it's affecting the market. don't think the they're market. specking. So. They don't, well, yeah, you know, exactly. They're not they're specking. specking. They're like, so... I want one copy. Yeah. And if there are twenty-seven copies left, it's going to take twenty-seven EDH players. Right. And it, or you know, one speculator to drop two hundred and seventy bucks on all those copies. So you know, the the fact that EDH players are buying for themselves and they're not really, like, oh, I got to buy this website out and make the price double. Right. Honestly, that's like a it's a more socially conscious way to do things. I think if just buy what you need or, you know, maybe buy a couple. If you wanted to see if, if you know that you were going to want a foil proteus staff because of Narset coming out, maybe just double your order. That would be like the best finance advice I could give for, because you already know you want information that's, yeah, you know, you want it and other Mm -hmm. people are going to want it. And the the fact that if you buy at a pre spike price, Maybe just start doubling your orders and wait six months and see what the stuff does. Because EDH players do another thing that a lot of people don't do. And the best finance advice, if I could give one piece of finance advice, <laughs> is never sell your cards.
3: Never sell anything?
2: Well, no, I mean, that's...
3: <laughs> EDH players already do this, yeah, so exactly. we're good, I exactly. think. Exactly.
2: But... You never sell anything. Never right. sell anything playable. And, mm-hmm. like, if you have a bulk rare, a bulk rare is going to be a bulk rare forever. Right. So... Like, there's a, there's a time to sell Boros Battleshaper, and that's when it's worth, like, maybe a dollar, like, the first week <laughs> the set's out. But other than that, then it's a bulk rare. And, you know, selling your bulk rare for bulk rare prices, it doesn't really make sense unless you really need that money. I accumulate yeah, right. bulk rares and sell them by the 10,000, you know. But if you're not doing that, why not just hang on to stuff? Because you never know. Azusa was a bulk rare. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: That is crazy. We'll talk to our friend Craig, and he'll show us, like, oh, Foil Elish Norn. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got this when it was X. And
2: we just, our mouths hit, our chins hit the floor. Like, are you kidding me? If only I knew. Yeah, when the card is only really talked about in standard, the multiplier is going to be, like, 2X. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Foil Elish Norn, at one point, it was twice the non-Foil price. And the non-Foil price was a little bit high because Elish Norn... All of a sudden, I was like, oh, <laughs> we need this as a 4 of in standard. Mm-hmm. All those, uh, uh, the, the French rights decks. Um, but, yeah, it was... Um, so, <laughs> for stuff that's primarily talked about in standard, you can sometimes get that 2x foil multiplier. But, I mean, uh, yeah, the most significant bit of finance advice for EDH is really buy the foils at the right time i wouldn't buy the pre-sale price necessarily i would wait for peak supply because edh doesn't really drive prices as cyclically as something like standard does right and so that's would, interesting too i would wait and and now might be the time to like pick up your foil see the unwritten
3: yeah because we're nearing the the, the so we're nearing peak supply and peak yeah. because yeah. the new is about to
2: come out yeah and, and like finkel played with it a little bit but for the most part. Nobody but EDH players is really on CD the unwritten. I mean, yeah, actually sat next to
3: Reduke at one of the GPs, and he was playing a CD the unwritten dick. Oh, nice! But the fact that he was sat- sitting next to me at the GP <laughs> can tell you he wasn't he wasn't in the at the top table. So he was he was still in it, but he wasn't doing great.
2: That happens. Reduke got last at, at champs, at and then yeah. the next year won it, and then yeah. he finished in like the no, bottom five. Sorry, I'm not
3: saying he's he's awesome. He's one of the best <laughs> no. players in the world. I'm just I, saying, I mean, yeah. You
2: didn't you didn't finish last at champs. You finished 24th in the world. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <This is> how, <laughs> how I want to look. At. I'm in at the top 25 players. Yeah. in the world. Yeah. So if you look at CD unwritten, that was a $20 pre-order. Uh-huh. Um, it's now at its historic low.
3: Because just because, because supply is just near as peak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: So something like that. I, I mean, if you were impatient, and you pay the 20 bucks. How upset are you going to be? I mean, you do, you pay double. Right. Mm-hmm what god i mean i think
3: people do get upset the, about what's that what's the
2: rental on a foil like <laughs> if if I you think... paid an extra ten dollars for three months that's like 10 cents a day who cares you know yeah, like yeah i I don't know but though
3: i think you that... can
2: save 10 but you could have bought in two. see the unwritten now and had one for your feet or for your uh your riku deck and one for your Maelstrom from wanderer deck so that's that's one way to look at it like if i wait on the wait for peak supply, and for the most part, sometimes if a foil doesn't come out at $20 pre order or you know, like in the first week, you might think, oh, okay, maybe maybe this is a little too cheap, right? Because that was four times the non foil pre order price. If it's twice the non foil pre order price and you think it's an EDH card, maybe double your order. But for the most part, I don't really like buying EDH foils until like the second set or the, the next set in the block comes out. Um, and now I, I bet CDN written goes back up to 20. So if you bought at 10, you're going to feel great. And if you're, you've got an extra copy you're not using, you sell that, you doubled up, and then you can use that to finance your next venture. So, right. Or
0: you can see it as sort of paying for the card you just got, the one that you kept, and then you're able to push yeah. out a little further with that.
2: I really really, it for another twenty dollar card.
3: I really like the double up your order thing. Um, You know, I can think right when you said that, I can think of a a dozen cards off the top of my head that I wish I'd bought another one or two or three of. Um, You know, Fate Stitcher is one that just recently like it's one of my favorite cards, and I have like four of them because I had four different decks I wanted to go in. And if that's the case, then I should have known. Like, I probably want, and it actually went up for a different reason than EDH. But still, if you like the card, there's probably a reason. Right. Like I just
0: bought a bunch of like Hercules recalls for real cheap because I was like this, I want to put this in every one of my decks. So I double up my order and it, 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 it is nice too, because if you are making more EDH decks too, as an EDH player, you just want to have another copy of a card. You don't want to have to switch in between decks. Right?
3: Yeah, and worst case scenario is like, oh, when I make another deck down the line, I use it. It Maybe yeah. it didn't go up in value, but if it does, then that's great too.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why I bought uh 250 Dictative of <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're in a you're playing on a different level than us. We're buying like I one mean, extra not, copy yeah, of
2: entropy. Yeah, your I might build 250 <laughs> decks, but I might make 250 friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm glad to pay much. five bucks for a Dictative of and that's
3: a great. Um, it's a great EDH card. And I yeah. got them yeah. at
2: 50 cents. Nice. Well, you l- just look for corollaries because y- you guys know EDH players know more cards than standard players. Mm-hmm. Well, It's just it's just a fact. Like if you ask the standard player every card in the new set, they probably know. But do you think they know what black market does? Right. <laughs> and it's not a like, oh, EDH players are better. I mean, maybe we are. But, <laughs> but it's more of a thing like you just you know so much stuff. So when y- you look at new cards in the context of every card ever mm-hmm. right in yeah. terms of interactions yeah you just, you, you're thinking on a different level that's why like i found it hard to get into players standard. Are, yeah standard <laughs> players are analyzing the stuff that's legal and standard if they're playing modern they'll look at the stuff that's legal and modern and if they look in a legacy they'll look at the stuff that's good in legacy which is why but
3: they automatically have innovation
2: to like... is kind of rare because you know, who pulls, a, like, occasionally your Michael Jacob will be like, hey, Predict is a card if people are stacking their deck and trying to get those Delver flips. All of a sudden, you know, Predict becomes better. But, like, EDH players are thinking on that level all the time. Because Proteus staff, you have to go back 12 years. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. It's not 12, but it's... It's a, it's a while. But <laughs> Yeah, it was Mirrodin, which was, like, 2004. So, yeah. You, you went back, like, a decade. I'm, I'm Proteus staff. So, it's... Uh, it, well, we so also have to we have
3: to consider cards that they would just automatically discard because of casting cost or right. things like that. So, you know, I think that's a big thing about EDH. Is the pool
2: of Seeing cards a not Hornet Queen played yeah. in standard was crazy, crazy. to me. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: It was also interesting because um when I started playing standard more recently, uh, you do have the a different lens as an EDH player where you go like this card is awesome. Like, oh, this card is great. You see a card that says like opponents you're like, oh my gosh, that yeah. means everyone at the table. You know, And so like your lens is going to be different. And I'd say take advantage of that as much as possible because you're going to be able to see stuff that, because EDH is still seen as a casual format and the people that are more into speculating and investing are going to be more serious about the game, Like you have an opportunity there to potentially scope out on stuff that may slip under the radar.
2: Yeah, and um, so you look at something like Grave Pact, which is like 10 to 12 bucks, which is insane for how many times Grave Pact has been printed. I mean, it was it was put in sets that people didn't buy a lot of, but still, come on, what do we need to do to bring the price of Grave Pact down? If you've got a twelve dollar Grave Pact and you've got a fifty cent Dictate of Erebos. yeah, exactly. Yeah, for one extra mana and flash, like that. Those
0: are the only two differences between the two cards, and I guess the black. And it's black easier to it. cast. Yeah, like double black is
2: yeah. is way better than triple black. Yeah. In, in but it's just that if you
3: decks. want Dictate of Aerogobos, you you also want Grave Pact in EDH. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't actually dictate doesn't actually change the price of doesn't, Grave Pact it at does, all. Yeah, yeah. Because you'll take it, ten of that card if you can get it.
2: It doesn't replace it because it's yeah. you'll you'll try to find room for both. Yes, mm-hmm.
3: exactly. So it one doesn't affect the other.
2: But you look at it and you're like, man, if this is a twelve dollar card, why is this yes. not a, a whole dollar? Right, and you know what? I think it's going to be eventually dictative. Air, you obviously is going to be do. use bought two hundred and fifty of them. Yeah. So yeah. When, when you, you put, you put your money up,
3: where your mouth is,
0: when you double up on your orders, for me, it's like I'm going from one to two copies. Is it for you?
2: I'm going from two hundred fifty to five hundred copies. I don't do that that often because, like, like I said, I don't speculate to eat. And it's it's mm-hmm. having the extra income to be like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take a gamble, mm-hmm. and, and I see that as a big discrepancy. The fact that you basically it's basically bulk, where it's a it's a corollary to a twelve dollar card. It it just that seemed like a huge discrepancy. But it's still and speculation. I don't think it's going to hit right. twelve, but I think it hits three maybe. Yeah, and if it hits three, I sextupled up. After fees, I probably quadrupled up.
3: You know, that's a question I had, and I think a lot of our listeners had was like, okay, I've got cards; they've increased in value. What do I do now? Because usually, you know, do you, do you go to your LGS and try to sell to them at their buy list, or do you trade? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you trade for? Like, how do I turn that that like sort of theoretical increase in value into actual value? If that makes sense.
2: Uh, there's a hard way and an easy way to get rid of stuff, and it's all about how much work you want to put in. I think the number one thing that EDH players should be a little bit more mindful of is the stuff they're not using, mm-hmm. and when the best time to get rid of that is. Because they'll sit on stuff that's good and standard. Like if an EDH player opens a Goblin Rabble Master and they don't have Cranko built, they're going to be like, great, whatever. You know, maybe they'll notice it went to 20. But if it just went to five and they had it sit at a box for five bucks for a year and a half before they decided to get rid of it, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I have all these Goblin Rabble Masters in this box. What are they worth? Oh, 10 cents. All right, I'll sell them for 10 cents. And it was something they didn't notice, went from 10 cents to $20 back to 10 cents. Mm hmm. You know, so if you're a little bit more mindful of the stuff that you don't want to use and get rid of that when it's probably at its peak price, that's – because, like I said, buying is the easy part of making money on a card. You know, it, how – if Dictative Erebos only ever goes to fifty, it's going to be tough for me to make money on those 250 copies. So selling's the hard part, and that's something that just comes with paying attention. I think the number one thing for uh, EDH players in finance is just starting to pay attention, and they'll notice it's a little easier than they might have thought. You know, it just seems daunting when you're when you're just hearing about people doing this kind of stuff. You're like, "Wow, how's that even work?" You talked about buy listing. Uh, what a, a buy list is? It's basically uh, it's a it's a list. So, so a dealer's like, "I need." Thirty-five copies of Bloom Tender. I'm paying six dollars on Bloom Tender. You know, so you'll you'll go on their website and say I'm sending you two copies of Bloom Tender. When you get it, you'll see that they're the condition I said they were, and you'll send me twelve bucks. Mm-hmm. um But you probably want to do a bigger order. But just for example, uh, that's you could put the Bloom Tender on, you know, eBay or TCG Player for the twelve or whatever, or you. Boy, I, I should look up the price of Bloom Tender because <laughs> well,
3: that's fine. Theoretical be numbers up, but, are but fine, like but a,
2: a theoretical card like that, say a theoretical twelve dollar card, right? right? Right. I bet Bloom Tender's three dollars. Well, what, you're like basically just weighing
3: like should but, I should I go to a buy list at a at a at a store or should I list it myself? Yeah, I mean, where do you come down on that? Like, is there honestly?
2: Certain... I've really started just buy listing because I get the stuff for so cheap buying collections. Mm-hmm. Um, buy listing's such an easy way to do it, and if the stuff's really sort of an in-demand card, uh, there's a concept called spread, which is the basically the difference between the cheapest buy price and uh, the highest sales price. Okay. The the cheapest um, price for you versus the highest price a dealer will pay you. Right. So it's that Mm -hmm. difference expressed as a percentage of the total price.
1: So, if so, so like
2: a 10% spread is, is very low because there's only like a 10% difference between what, say, Card Kingdom is paying you versus what TCG Player is charging you. So if the spread is that low, you're losing 10% by not selling it yourself on TCG Player.
3: So, if so it they, means just go ahead and buy, list it, because the 10% is yeah. not worth the extra yeah. work.
2: It, how it, much Yeah, do you want that 10%? And then like how much of that you're going to lose the fees anyway? Yeah,
3: if you go on
0: eBay, there are a lot of fees associated with listing stuff and also with PayPal right. and
3: all that. But so. so what we're saying is you need to if you're going to sell a card, you need to check not only what the price that somebody's going to pay you for it, but also what the price it's selling for is. Because if that spread is big, then you might want to go just ahead go and ahead take and the headache it, yeah. and be like, yeah. yeah if somebody's buying a card for ten bucks, but it, you're seeing the lowest sell price is twenty, then you probably want to, you know, take the time to sell it yourself. 10, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Just remember to sell when the card's hot and not when it's convenient for you to sell the card. Because right. if you never care about it, you might think it doesn't matter when you sell it because you never care about it. But you want to sell it when other people care about it a lot.
3: What's the easiest um, way to keep track of, you know, when is a good time to sell cards? Like, is it just literally going to TCG Player and like typing in every card and looking at the graph. Cause that seems like a lot of work. Is there a faster way to just sort of in general, I mean, do you have just have to check specific cards? Like we, all have, the
2: time? we have really specialized tools for people that are big into finance. Um, and it's for, for, I, I want to say people that are doing this casually, it doesn't necessarily make sense to invest in a quiet speculation.com membership. Um, just to get those access to those tools, if all you're going to be really doing is buy listing a hundred dollars worth of cards every four months, um, really the easiest way to do it is just check some of the, the cards that are hot, and you'll know what's hot in standard if you have conversations with anybody, mm-hmm. you know, or you watch about, coverage, yeah, or yeah, watch coverage, or, you, or, or you're just paying attention. A, a few of the sites you can actually go on and just sort by price for the whole set and kind of see what the most expensive cards and, and oh, that's a good, have any
3: of that. Yeah, I've seen that
2: before. That's a really so good tip. you don't have to type in every card. You can just sort by set and then click on the, the word price, and it'll sort by price. You click on price again, and it'll sort by the highest price at the top. So that that sort of thing is a lot easier than, than, than typing in every card laboriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, trading is a good way to do it too.
3: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I think a lot of people have asked like, when I'm trading, what do I trade for? I mean, obviously you want to trade for cards you need, but I think people are like the idea of just trading for value, but they don't know, you know, how to how to go about that. I mean obviously like it seems to make sense, like if I can get an old school dual land for a bunch of my stuff, like trade for older stuff. Is that
2: generally a good rule? Like yeah. uh, It really I wanna say if you're an EDH player, don't trade with EDH players. <laughs> why is that because they care about the same stuff that you care about right so so is, find know, the deals there so that's why spikes should trade with edh players and edh players should trade with spikes because sometimes like the values are going to be off a little bit neither party's going to care because uh-huh. they don't really care about the realm raiser that's been sitting in their binder since 2008 <laughs> and you don't care about Snapcaster mage if you're you know mostly playing edh so you can make both people win in that sort of situation right so trade for stuff they don't care about
0: yeah. And, and it's going to be easier for you to set a deal as well because if it is something that they care about, slash value higher, then you're not going to be able to get as
3: good of a trade from them.
2: And are they going to really rake you over the coals for an extra 25 cents on a foil burn at the stake that they don't care about?
3: Right, right. Um, but I guess, you know, a lot of people are enamored with the idea of like, I go and I trade and I don't necessarily trade for this thing I want, I trade for something that, you know, is just better EV. You know, it's gonna increase in value mm-hmm. more than the thing I traded away. I mean, it's not about ripping anybody off. Now, you know, like straight uh, across. I it's...
2: mean, if they get a card they want, who was ripped off exactly? Yeah, but yeah.
3: I mean, I mean, I mean, the concept of trading for something that you don't necessarily need or want, you just think like it's right. It's gonna either hold its value better right. or it's gonna increase in value faster. You know, is there any tips as far as you know having sort of trading as investment almost?
2: EDH players accidentally do it right. Yeah. <laughs> i really liking trading... that we do
3: everything
0: right. You,
2: well, you, you accidentally do everything right. It's so good because you're trading rotating format stuff into non-rotating format stuff. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and, and that, so that is the best way to go is just sort of trade for older stuff in general?
2: Yeah. I mean, like EDH staples. Yeah. Like everyone knew Cavern of Souls was going to be, you know— a great card in standard right Mm -hmm. but standard players only cared about it for a year and once it was gone from standard they stopped caring about cavern of souls and they wanted to fire sale that like right at rotation you know they wanted to just get what they could get before the price totally crashed right it didn't crash as much as uh people thought it would but they you know they didn't they got less than full value for it also if you're trading into stuff that you know edh is going to bring the price of backup and it's hard to find a ton of great examples of that because even caverns, not the greatest example, but, but stuff like that, that, you know, that EDH will long term bring the price up and you can get it right when it's rotating out of standard. That's the best time to trade for stuff like that. Or just trade for EDH staples that are just like, it's just going to be stuff that's going to be good forever. You know, right. like angel serenity really tanked at rotation because it was only really played in standard and EDH. So rotation's a good time to pick that stuff up. That you know is just like, well, this is going to get played in EDH and it'll never be cheaper than it is right now, just because all the standard players have a ton in their binder and there's a glut of it. So, and like the buy list price isn't high because dealers don't want stuff that's rotating. So, the, the buy list price on that stuff is super low, you know? Yeah. And like the only people picking it up are people that want to play with the cards and people like me that know better. Right. I love to buy cards at rotation. So that would be a good time to trade some of your stuff that's like maybe trade Theros stuff away and pick up stuff that's, you know, from the block that Theros made rotate. So you pick up all the you know, your all the Ravnica, all Mm -hmm. the Ravnica stuff. That's when you pick up your chromatic lanterns for like a buck fifty. Yeah. And by the way,
0: rotation, just so you guys know, it happens. Uh, and Wizards does have resources on their website because the rotation pattern is changing for standard. So you're going to want to make sure that you actually keep up on that so you don't sort of think something's going to go out when it, you know, it, the, the timing has now changed a little Yeah, bit. I
3: don't know if every ADH player knows about how rotation works. I mean, basically, there's a certain amount of sets that are legal in the standard format. And then when a new sets come out, they sort of bump old sets off the list, but they do it uh, uh, as blocks. So there'll be these points in time where a new set comes out and literally three sets fall off and they're not legal and standard anymore. So what Jason's Mm -hmm. talking about is that all of a sudden a whole bunch of cards that were legal to be played in standard tournaments and things just, you know, the new set comes out and literally all those cards aren't legal anymore to be played. And so if they're not actually used in any of the formats that sort of encompass the cards that are legal after, standard so like modern or legacy or vintage then those cards like they just drop huge in price yeah because there's no longer any need for them whatsoever yeah except in edh but i guess what jason's saying is that doesn't edh we don't move the needle quite enough to make those prices like stay yeah. where they were they're always going to drop a little if they're i
2: mean, I mean long term they might even climb all the way back up mm-hmm. but just but that immediate... would take a couple years but i mean the we're fact that no you're going to play with those you're going to play with those cards the whole time they're gaining in value right yeah it's really a great thing. Yeah,
3: I like uh, that's a really good tip. I think is like basically the idea of like coming up here, trade your Theros stuff for return to Ravnica block stuff um, as an example, but mm-hmm. you can use that moving forward. Like eventually, you're going to trade your Cons of Tarkir stuff for whatever the for, yep. for whatever the Theros stuff was when that's about to rotate out. So yeah, that's a really good tip. Uh, I like that. Um, moving on, speaking of new sets, Ooh. we're really excited. Um, you know, they've announced Modern Masters two. To be coming out uh, around next summer. We should get some confetti to throw in the air. This is exciting. Woo! What are you talking about? They can't see. I am throwing <laughs>
2: confetti in the air. <laughs> By the way, as far our friend, as you know, yeah, as our- far as
3: you guys know. A yeah. big
2: invisible confetti budget on your
3: show. <laughs> it's like when a team wins the national championship and that stuff just rains down.
2: Yeah, That's it's, what's going on right it's here. Constantly yep, raining, it's constantly raining, actually. Going down. It's, it's going on right a, now. It's
3: been a bit
0: of a problem. We, we can't <laughs> turn the machine off. Um, it's funny because our friend Alex Kessler on the Masters of Modern episode that I guested on uh, like a couple months ago called this exact thing. He's like, there, there's a 3GP weekend. They're doing Modern Masters 2. And he called it way back. And when it finally happened, I was like, well, good spec. We-
2: we booked our house in Vegas. <laughs> you guys knew. Months ago. Nice. We didn't Okay, we we surmised, yeah, surmised, yeah. yeah. If we say we knew it sounds like somebody told us something. Right, Nobody right. told us anything. Like we were on on brainstorm brewery like, man, how much do we want to say about how early we booked our house cuz that could look kind of bad like someone told us something, but <laughs> honestly that was uh that was us speculating yeah. Because that's what speculators do. Well, we it's a it.
3: pretty good speculation, too, because worst case scenario is, oh, no, we're going to Vegas. We're going to Vegas. Oh, no, no, that no, sucks.
2: Yeah. May 30th is my birthday. Oh, oh perfect. Jeez. So, how about I'm, I'm, I'm buying a- you a beer then, buddy? <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, dude, we'll see you there. We'll, we're definitely going to have to hang out. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have all to all go to Buffalo Wild Wings, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Inside Uh,
2: joke for Corbin might not be there. You'll have to listen to uh, 125 episodes of Brainstorm Brewery to get that inside joke. (laughs) (laughs) No, you
3: only have to listen to one, I think. So,
0: by the way, if you guys don't know, Modern Masters 2 is a reprint set. Uh, It's the second of the Modern Masters series that that Wizards has done, and it essentially is trying to bring modern cards back into the market and make the format more accessible.
3: It's awesome because all these amazing cards – become available to us yeah. where you know they're hard to get. I mean Tarmogoyf is the big front runner of what was available uh from the last stuff. Dark Confident too, a bunch of others, but right. you know cards like that, really expensive cards, really powerful cards. There's uh, format staples those <laughs> mythical cards too that like your friend has but you can't afford, like, you know, that's the type of cards that come out in these sets. So it's it's I mean, it's super fun to draft. Mm-hmm. Uh but really it's really I think good for EDH and 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 I guess we wanted to talk about like how you think that's going to affect you know, the EDH market for cards, you know, I think people are really curious because it's, it's going to be like $10 a pack, you know, and things we talked about earlier, how does it apply to modern masters too? like, do I buy boxes? Do I open boxes? Do I buy the singles on pre-order? Do I wait? Like, does it work the same? Because this is
2: not a standard set. You know what you can do? You can do nothing. You can do absolutely nothing. And modern masters Two is going to bring the price of certain EDH cards down. People that didn't buy any packs of Modern Masters 1
1: mm-hmm.
2: benefited. have benefited <laughs> from cheaper doubling seasons. That's oh, the true. thing that happened. Oh, and man. doubling season... Speaking of prof, We're not going to get a ton se- of EDH stuff because there was, there was your stuff like your Divinity of Pride that got its price hurt mm-hmm. a uh-huh. little bit um, just by virtue of being in the set and just being kind of a forgettable card that people are just like opening packs like, oh, my rares Divinity of Pride, whatever, throw in a pile. Right. Ends up in like, you know the $2 binder at your LGS. And that's just sort of like buy, bye $7 divinity as a pride. That's just a thing that happened. And that's ultimately good for EDH players because some speculators are like, that was always a card I could pick up, you know, for cheap because no one thought divinity of pride was worth anything. And I could buy list that for five bucks. Right. Like, well, it's unfortunate. You can't do that anymore. You didn't lose any money because you shouldn't have been holding a ton of divinities of pride. You should have been cycling those getting that $5 bill and getting that into the hands of an EDH player. Mm-hmm. So, the two kinds of EDH cards that were in Modern Masters one were your Divinity of Pride and your Stonehewer Giant. That sort of like okay, they became worth poop. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you had your your doubling season type cards, and doubling season was something that was a little trickier because they couldn't just jam that in the set because if there was an, an, there was no way to build around. Like Divinity of Pride is a good card. Yeah. You play Divinity Pride Unlimited, Limited, and you're gonna smash somebody with it, and then you'll make a bigger Divinity Pride by smashing them, and then you'll finish them off. Right. Um, with a doubling season, sort of like what? What? What do I do with a doubling season? <laughs> you take it in the booster pack because it's worth twenty five dollars, or right. was at the time. Can, but what use do it you do with Thalad's deck? <laughs> well, exa- that's exactly what they had to do. They yeah. had to build the whole set around a few rares. Yeah. So they like right. green has to you know, make tokens has to make tokens. Otherwise, so they're going to have to, there's going to be a few EDH cards that are just solid, good on their own. They're going to get in there. And there's going to be a few build around cards. And I don't know if they're going to do doubling season again, or if they're going to build around something new. Mm-hmm. I don't know, really know what they're going to do. And the number of blocks that are eligible to be in the set. And we keep saying modern masters too. It's called modern masters 2015. Oh, Right. right. Right, I right. don't know if there's going to be a 2016, or if it's going to be a 2017. Yeah, well, but the way it, the, the way it, the they're Wizards-
3: going to name it, Modern Masters 2015. Oh man, it's so. Is it going to be MM 2015 for short? And, and then then we're going to have an M 15. <laughs>
2: Like, come on. See, you, you don't sort as many cards as I do, so it's not as big a problem for you. There are so many And it's M's. still
3: a big problem in my head just when I'm talking yeah. about it. For you, it must be yeah. like you have cases of cards, I'm assuming. That must be the biggest pain. You typed out MMA to me. I was like, oh, professional fighting. Yeah. I was like, I did an MMA trap last night. He's like, who won?
0: Yeah, who did win? The guy with the longer arms to, to smack you. Uh, the,
2: um, think Anderson Jar- Silva actually beat him with a a top deck lightning helix that's no. amazing that guy wins that would everything be, he, dude, he's, he's lightning a red helix
3: would player. be the best <laughs> mma real fighting because you hit them and you heal somehow that yeah yeah, yeah like the like cut, cut on your, your forehead eye. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. or like you know if you're anderson silver baby like a broken leg oh dear oh oh rest in peace leg oh. um the Gumby leg oh still yeah. hurts me to think about that anyway
0: yeah uh, what, what wizards does like to do is they release a, a yearly special set so last year that was conspiracy, conspiracy. which was awesome yeah, and ho- I, I'm thinking they might be doing this on a two-year, a,
2: a two-year cycle. It would make sense. Oh, maybe but they'll just rotate
3: them so there'll be Conspiracy 2016 16. and then Modern Masters 2017. Yeah. yeah.
2: Conspiracy was – there was some EDH stuff in there. Like, oh, Ed- yeah. oh, yeah. That was built for EDH as they far were, as I could tell. They were gifts for cube players too because yeah. some of that stuff mm-hmm. that was draft-specific, everyone's like, I don't need yep. a Palliano. No, Paliano's great. Like, awesome in a, yeah, a cube. it's awesome it's and a cube. Great in a cube. Arena cube, like or uh, lore seekers and lore uh, seeker. Hmm. Yeah, that's why the foil lore Cogra- seekers are 150 librarian. bucks or whatever it
1: is. It's 150. Yeah, yeah it's, oh, crap. some places. I have like two yeah, of those. In the foil? foil.
3: Yeah. What? Yeah, I opened like them. We never opened one in the draft, remember? We'd
2: always yeah, complain we, about that, but we never did. Open but them. I cracked a box and I got two. Well, why don't you look at what you can actually sell those for?
3: <laughs> I don't. I didn't check conspiracy at all because I didn't even think it would be. It's not in well, standard the, or anything. Yeah,
2: the cube the cube specific stuff is is really cool.
0: Really?
3: I didn't know that I w I didn't think those cards would go to that high. The foil conspiracy is just Shows because they, know. you
0: know it's like a one of. You're never yeah. gonna get that weird card printed ever again and some random like I just never you know.
3: thought of cube pushing the, the needle that far, so I didn't even so, look at
2: it. Yeah. So something to like I don't know how many EDH players care about Tarmogoyf.
3: Yeah, um, yeah. It's it well, they but, care because it's it's a prestigious card, you
2: know.
0: Right. Sure. And it, yeah. it's
2: something like if you get a Tarmogoyf, guess what? You're going to the shop.
0: Not on EDH <laughs>
2: night, you go on Spike night. Yeah, and the guys are building their modern deck, and then you get a pile of EDH goodies. Yeah, yeah, that's what you do. So, um, worth so yeah, it. I guess it's it's worth it to buy these packs. But even if you don't, you'll still benefit from lower prices. But I think they have said that it's not a limited or it is a limited print run, but it's not going to be as limited as Modern Masters one. Yeah, because they had to be very careful not to make another Chronicles. When Chronicles came back, uh, that's came why the out the, list I remember this. Yeah, yeah I yeah. remember this. Chronicles basically made people panic. They're like, I have this $20 city of brass, and you're reprinting it as a $2 whiteboarded card. Is any of my stuff going to be, are you going to reprint Lotus in the next Chronicles? And like, none of my cards will be worth anything. So people really freaked out. Yeah.
3: Yeah. If people don't know, Chronicles was a set really early on in Magic, I think it was, um, probably like 95, 96-ish. Yeah. And uh, what they did is they did sort of a Greatest Hits uh, reprint set. So the set was sort of like Modern Masters is now, but at that point in Magic's history, there had been less sets and they'd been a lot harder to obtain because they'd had really limited print runs just by nature of the fact that they were a new company and they couldn't actually like afford to print yeah. uh, as much product as there was demand for. So when they printed this set, the prices of a lot of cards plummeted to the point where a lot of people left the game because they felt like They'd have spent a bunch of money yeah. on on yeah. stuff and you know and then what it said, you know, what they were worried about was like, well, if wizards can just do this anytime they want, then I can never actually invest in expensive cards or it
2: wrecked the prices of cards that weren't in Chronicles. Yeah, because yeah. they were
3: like, Well, they can just reprint Library of Alexandria anytime they want to. So why the heck would I hold on to it and why would I pay money for it? And so as a result, wizards uh Did something they call the reserve list, which is they made a big list of cards and they released it and they said, we will never reprint these cards again. And things like dual lands are on there. And of course, Mm -hmm. all the power, the mox and the black Lotus is on there. There's a whole bunch of crazy cards that you'd be like, why the heck would they never reprint that? That card sucks. But at the time, they just took a whole bunch of cards, I guess, that they thought, you know, people were investing on. Yeah. Or we're going to be expensive. Sentinel (laughs) Centaurs. Yeah. But there's also there. amazing cards, you know, yeah. all the amazing cards from the the mythical cards from the early days of Magic. So anyway, that's something
2: that is, yeah. like,
3: almost ruined the game. Um, and Wizards
2: has to keep that in mind every time they, they do they a reprint They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to have Modern Masters be a Chronicle. They've so basically they,
3: been gun-shy yeah. since Chronicles to do anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so when Modern Masters came out, that was their first time since then of re- of creating an entire set that was only reprints. and And, you know, they were very they were hesitant careful, you know yeah. yeah they were super careful and it worked out great so which is good for everybody but. there
2: will be way more i'm gonna say orders of magnitude more modern masters 2015 than modern masters one yeah i think this might actually because if you notice the price of Tarmogoyf went up slightly yeah that was amazing more. that uh-huh.
3: you'd think the price would go down because more came into the marketplace what was the reasoning for that do you think is it just GP more vegas did it just bring like did what happen is that more people got into modern so actually the demand for Tarmogoyf like actually went up.
2: Uh, that in, that to an extent and a large percentage of all Modern Masters open was open at GP Vegas. Uh-huh. Oh wow! And the dealers that were there just bottom up because people were opening Tarmogoyfs oh. in their pool and dropping because it paid for more their than paid trip, for the event. Yeah, yeah.
0: pay for the so right. they got, to keep,
2: got to keep all the packs. You know it paid for their tournament entry. Some of those people got you know the uh the the playmat that they sold. If people so, don't know what
3: you do when you go to a major tournament is especially a yeah. uh, limited tournament is you open the pool and then you register the pool, but that's not the pool that you're going to play with yeah. You you're actually registering else. it and then it's going to be given to another player. And so if but you but want to you, keep
2: that pool and not pass that, just just, uh, drop you have to drop from the tournament,
3: but then you get to keep the pool you open. So if you yeah. open a Tarmogoyf. I wonder, yeah. like, how much that affected, like, there was probably way less Tarmogoyfs, like, being, being played. Pros were complaining on Twitter. Yeah, because, but you know what? Tarmogoyf, not that great of a limited card. Yeah. So, it didn't, like, hurt the decks that much, I wouldn't think. So. And
2: I, it was it was more Sword of Fire and Ice and Vendelian Click. Yeah, that was taken Sword out of Fire out. and Ice is, like, I want people to take those hey, out. Hey, I opened Foil Sword of Fire and Ice, oh. and I'm like, that's probably 200 bucks this weekend. Did oh my you God. drop? I dropped. I dropped. You did. I was in Vegas. I wasn't there to play. And uh, yeah, you're there the, you're I there can there always to go to the
3: blackjack tables. It I mean, don't uh, matter. When we're yeah. opening
2: packs, we're essentially doing what Vegas wants us to do, which is gamble on chance. <laughs> yeah. Um. Two of my Brainstorm Brewery co-hosts, uh, uh, Corbin, got like top 24 nice. at the GP, and he only got like 400 bucks or something at like that. the like, biggest GP of w- Oh, my gosh. It totally wasn't worth it. Yeah, exactly.
3: Because he was playing
2: the whole time. He got top 24 and he got what? It was I don't know if it was top 24. He was he had like four losses or something on the weekend though. It was He didn't get like 4, 400 bucks and Marcel I think finished out of the like the last spot out of the money. Right. Or Man. something like that. Like it was But it was, the fact
0: that you could just drop and sell your card for almost as much as they made playing and sitting there for 12 hours straight is pretty
2: impressive.
3: Yeah, and
0: you got to play Yeah, craps but if the you're there time. to
2: play magic, great. More power to him. They wanted to play the event. Right. I yeah.
0: I mean, they're just go do side events, something. Like- I was, yeah, you I still was play networking.
2: magic. That was great. You yeah. can still play
0: magic? There's all kinds of side events. Oh
2: yeah, I yeah. played a lot of EDH. Yeah, yeah.
0: You so, know. Well, I'm looking forward to Modern Masters too. I'm, I'm very interested. It's hard to have a full conversation about because we don't know what exactly is going to be in there yet. But like you said, Jason, it's a really good point. It's actually great. You don't need to buy anything from Modern Masters 2. But, I mean, that's no fun. Like uh, You can just buy the singles after they yeah, you know, what, go I mean, down the price.
3: Or whatever. Very simply, what would your advice be? Buy boosters, buy boxes, buy cases? Just draft it, buy singles?
2: It's singles that way. Like yeah. For me, I'm just going to go do the draft, draft out, cash, and players are going like, to open the stuff, and if the LGAS doesn't want to buy some of the stuff, I'll probably end up buying some of it. But, I mean... Uh, but, but the I'm EDH also gonna community is not it.
3: known for being like big limited drafting players. I mean, usually, as an EDH player, the
2: options yeah, that's that, a fair point. that they're I interested mean, in are a lot like of people I know are like just sort of they just like to do it all. If you're real an EDH specific type person, I I'd, uh, the the booster boxes are going to be so expensive. Yeah, I don't know how much sense it makes. To try to open the stuff, I think you just wait for the prices to come down and then buy the singles. Will yeah.
3: there be a peak supply moment similar to standard with this stuff?
2: We don't know how much supply there is. They're right. real tight-lipped about it, but like Modern Masters One was gone.
3: There was no peak supply moment for that. I feel like I feel no, like it was, it, actually, it was GP Vegas. And then it actually it the supply went down as f from the moment it came out. Like that's what I feel like, anyway.
2: Yeah. So like they sort of they printed all they were ever going to print. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm
3: saying. I think people are worried about that. I mean, listen. I was just asking your advice on like when to buy, what to buy. Like, what would you what would you say? Like, if
2: I don't think there's a play here for EDH players. Like, for me personally, I'm going to try to draft as much as I can. Mm -hmm. If you want to buy boxes and sit on them, that's sort of a finance strategy. But like, I uh, if you're primarily concerned with getting cool cards for your EDH decks, for the best price you can. The best price you can, singles. then stay away.
0: Just buy wait. the singles wait. cheaper
2: one. Yeah, let other people pay ten bucks for a booster pack. Gotcha.
0: Right. Yeah. Because uh, you don't want to pay ten dollars for a booster pack and crack open the fifty cent, you know, bulk rare in the set. You know, you want it. You want the supply to go up for people to open a lot of a card that maybe they is a modern staple, but isn't like the. Isn't an EDH card. Isn't an EDH card. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see the price go down. And and buying singles is just a better
2: investment instead of i mean if you want to just crack packs and go for it but yeah i mean cracking packs is there's something to that that's fun yeah oh, oh yeah. man i love doing it i love <laughs> it too much i have <laughs> so
3: much sealed product at home uh yeah i actually we're gonna move on to some listener submitted questions but i have a personal question for you here i have a sure. few i have a few boxes of modern masters one what do you think's gonna happen to the value of those like i'm worried that You know, because they're at like 400-ish or so now in Mm -hmm. general, and um, you know, is Modern Masters two going to like depreciate the value of sealed boxes of the first Modern Masters?
2: It really depends on how much overlap there is. Uh If it's the exact same set, that's going to be an issue. Um, I mean, they can't do
3: that. People will just get mad, right? They'll be like, "We already had this set."
2: Yeah, they (laughs) they might. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, said that, that that's not alex that, i don't think people are going to shell at 10 bucks for a, a booster pack if it's the exact same set. yeah
3: i can't see them doing that that's so i think you i
2: think you're good i think one of the reasons that it made a little more sense than most sets to sit on um sealed modern masters one is that's a booster draft in a box yeah
3: it, that mm-hmm. i mean really i'm keeping them because we're going to draft them but yeah. i you know you don't want to just get hosed on value <laughs>
2: Once that hits five six hundred, which I think it might in a couple years, it's going to make less and less sense to uh, to draft that. But if you got in cheap, that's that's pretty good. Um, I I don't know that Modern Masters two is going to affect the price of sealed Modern Masters one all that much. Great, it yes, shouldn't.
3: No. I do well. We're gonna have to do this someplace else because I do want to ask you about sealed stuff because I have a ton and I love to. We, we draft a lot, so yeah. I buy a lot of. just old... is a, a connoisseur of sealed products. Well am but I'm not a connoisseur of finance, so you know, yeah, this is a whole nother conversation and probably one of our listeners aren't too interested in, so we'll skip it for now. <laughs> because we're, we're going on to listener submitted questions, so uh we And this asked, is the part where people can win stuff.
0: Yeah. See, now that's that's the true value. You literally spend twenty seconds recording something on your phone and emailing it to us and you could win product that's yeah pretty we've good. got
3: fat packs dual decks we got play mats we got booster packs uh yeah. wizards
0: has been really nice to provide us
3: with a, yeah. a bunch of products so big shout out to sean thanks so much yeah uh, we're excited to give this stuff to you guys so actually if you hear your voice then you've won, and we will email you to get your address so we can send out the stuff. Yeah. So uh, let's go right to the first question. Also,
0: we're going to be announcing the prize winners from the people that commented on our last episode at the end of the show. So stay tuned if you're looking to hear if you won that. Oh, day. yeah.
3: If you, if you commented on the overperformers episode, listen till the end because you may win stuff also. Man, we're just giving away a lot. Of stuff. I guess it's Christmas time.
0: It's Christmas time. All right. So let's go with our first question. Considering the upcoming Elspeth versus Kiora dual deck, how soon would it be wise to sell copies of Elspeth's Sons Champion? Is it too late?
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's what I figured.
0: As soon I mean, as they it's, announced it's, uh, it, right?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, it, it tanked a little. I mean, I'm sure it's going to tank more once the supply goes out. So it's it, it's too late to max out, but it's not too late to Get not out. eat it more than you will in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So, so, if I you mean, have a the, bunch
3: of lspe for some reason, if you had like you know if you are needed each player and you have six or seven of them, like would you get rid of <laughs> three or four? like how would you play that? That's a lot of else I don't I know mean
2: who... like what is what's his goal?
3: His goal is probably just not to lose too much value. yeah, guess.
2: I mean, you're, you're gonna lose value because it was reprinted. and I think it's not gonna drop enough that selling now and rebuying later makes sense. Right. So if you keeping them to play with, just probably keep them. It's gonna it's going curtail what if you, the price a little, but it's not but, gonna be a massive drop. I don't I don't think it's enough that the work you're going to do and the fees you're going to pay, because if if you are in his position, you're paying fees to sell, right? And you're paying fees to buy, right? So you're paying it's... shipping. So those fees are gonna really bite you at both ends. I don't know And that makes it really hard to sell now and buy again later and make money in the interim.
3: I don't know if he's talking about buying them back later. Like a lot of players I think EDH players fall into the category of like, Well, I have this stuff and I'm not gonna I'm not doing the you know, sell it now, buy it back later. I'm just literally waiting for the best time to sell it. And like, you know, if you were sitting on a few elspeths thinking like, you know, incorrectly that (laughs) that um You know, they're worth this much, and I might just wait a little while till they go up, and then they announce this thing. You know, is it good for him to just sell now with, you know, if he's not going to buy back later, basically?
2: They're at a historic low right now, anyway. Uh huh. So you might as well just wait and hope. And I, it's, it's not going to go back up. If, if you're looking to just cash out, I would cash out immediately. Mm hmm. That makes sense. Uh, It's been, it's been tailing down for months, and I think uh, it, it really spiked to about 30 bucks right when cons came out for whatever reason. Um, but it's been, it's been slowly approaching 18 ever since. Um, it should hit 18 pretty soon. So I I think you just sell now. And if you don't want to buy back in, just don't look back. But if you're keeping them to play with, just keep them because you're not getting very good value from selling anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I I, like, I don't know what the, the, the floor on this is, it could be 10 bucks, but I think this is probably like a $12 card forever. Pretty much no matter what. I mean, it is a
3: powerful card in EDH. It's a Um, very good card. Yeah, so I I can see it being you know EDH like staple.
2: Uh, So yeah, if you want to keep these to play with, just don't even bother. Yeah, Um, I'm just
3: he might have. You know, my feeling was it sounded like he had a couple or a few, and he might not need a certain amount you might only need one or two what to do with the other ones is sort of the question Mm
2: -hmm. sure let's let's cover all the bases and like it really depends on your goal and I, i think i answered any question i could anticipate gotcha
3: okay um let's go to the next one from dan Locke. as a dad with three little ones at home i don't have a lot of extra money to drop on magic so i tend to try and make my store credit
2: stretch as far as it can go at what point is it considered poor form to only get things from a store in trade? Do most stores let you trade in stuff for credit as much as you want?
3: Or should I, and this is what I try to do as much as I can, also buy like packs and sleeves and things in addition to just trading stuff in?
2: Uh, I'm assuming he's talking about his LGS. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think there's poor form. They make money. When you trade stuff in, they offer that, not because they like you, but because it's lucrative for them. Yeah. So really what you're doing is you're getting stuff that they'll sell into their case. And they like that because that's how stores get cards in the case. It's from people by like doing you. what you're doing. Yeah, they don't actually um, want
3: to just crack boxes for that stuff after pre-sales, right? Right, no,
2: no yeah. not really. Um, so so, so you're, you're doing them a favor and you're paying a percentage. You're losing value by doing this. So um, I don't think you need to feel bad for doing it because the store is more than happy to provide that service. What I might suggest is if you want to look outside your LGS, sometimes uh, online stores, something like a uh, store like Card Kingdom. Right. They'll um, give you extra percentage. They'll give you a percentage. Yeah. Which which helps you a, a lot. Yeah. I think you uh, get
3: uh, an additional 30% on Card Kingdom specifically, but a lot of sites do. Like If you're only going to use that, um, the yeah. stuff you sell them for, for more right. store credit, then they give you additional into what the buy list is if you're going to take cash you get less basically yeah and that's what exactly i mean like like you just said jason this is
0: why the store is giving you credits because they want you to stay on their website and use the stuff that you're you know giving them to get more stuff from them so essentially they're they're the ones receiving the benefit from
2: most of this they will absolutely trade you your 30 dollars worth of cards for their 20 dollars worth of cards right and it seems like a good deal for you too because you're not paying any cash mm-hmm you're not reinvesting cash to get the cards you want, so it it really is kind of a win win. Uh, and if you get that percentage, that kind of um, lessens the the bite they take out. That's even better. Yeah. So definitely. if so, if your LGS does offer that percentage, um, I think you got a good thing going, and I don't think you need to feel bad about not spending cash in the store because they are still going to make money off of you.
3: They need people like you. I mean, they won't be able to offer a wide array uh, array of singles if they Mm -hmm. don't have a number of people that are constantly uh, giving them cards. Because otherwise, how how are they getting their cards that they're selling?
2: That's why the EDH community is great, because they care about cards that, like... I would say the majority of people that hang out in the LGS playing Magic are standard players, Mm -hmm. and... Anybody that cares about cards they don't care about and doesn't care about cards they do care about is great for the store because that's how they refresh their stock. So I think you're really doing them a service, and I don't, I don't think you need to like feel bad. It's almost like a whole other
3: card game. It's like they probably have Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, too, and then right. they can almost think of EDH as a whole other card
2: game than the standard players are playing. Yeah, which is it's just great for them. So yeah, yeah. Uh, if you... If you don't want to look into like doing an online store, I would recommend Card Kingdom. Um, There's some other stores that offer pretty good uh, trading. Also, I think Cool Stuff has a pretty decent percentage. Yeah. Um, but if you don't want to look into that and you're just looking at your LGS, keep doing what you're doing.
0: Yep. And you're supporting your community, and they become fans of you. And establishing a good relationship with the person that you're trading with is great too, because then you'll be able to get in some more deals, or or they'll you know alert you to something if they know that you're a consistent person there. That's that's helping them restock their stock. All right, so our third and final listener-submitted question is from Mark Eggert. So I've recently started playing a five-color commander deck, and as part of that building process, uh, putting together a five-color mana base is pretty expensive. You know, the Zendikar Fetchlands and some of the original duels, and it's way outside of my budget, and I've considered running uh, proxies in their place in order to keep the deck fairly consistent. What are your thoughts on proxies, and how does your playgroup handle that?
2: I am, as a finance person anti-proxy i figured you would be i figured you would be yeah i was surprised i actually uh, said some anti-proxy things on reddit today Mm -hmm. and was upvoted and this was in the edh subreddit so i think some edh players kind of consider proxies unfair i think if you're testing that's what proxies are for
3: yeah that's the point i've made in the past is because people have asked like what is allowed to proxy and what's not and that to me is not the question it's how long is that proxy going to be in my deck yeah um you know, so this
2: guy can... was asking about good-looking proxies. Like, where can I get really sharp-looking proxies? I think your proxies should be ugly.
3: Yeah, they they need to
0: stand out. Yeah, <laughs> for me yeah. at least. They, they should shouldn't be. Like, oh, they shouldn't I be wanna, trying to be counterfeit. Yeah.
2: yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, that's called counterfeit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The, it's not a a, a oh, proxy. A good that, proxy no. officer. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. That's a good-looking proxy hundred-dollar bill. Like that's not. No. Yeah. It needs to look like <laughs> monopoly.
2: It's a good-looking yeah. proxy. That's
3: called counterfeit. It needs to look <laughs> uh, like monopoly money. Yeah. Or so like nobody can on mistake it.
0: Chicken scratch on the piece of paper. Yeah.
2: So you know what I th- you know what I think a good proxy for an expensive card in an EDH deck is a card that does something similar and isn't ah, as good. A card. That's a really good
3: point. Yeah. Like I I made the point last episode about Swan Song and how I use that in place of Force of Will or Pact of Negation because those cards are expensive and I don't own them. Mm-hmm. Well, Pact I do, but not Force of Will. And that's how you should go about it. I think in ninety percent of the cases. Now the 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 time I would say proxies are okay is when you're not sure if this card's going to be good and it's expensive and you're not. You don't want to spend the money yet. Yeah. But I don't think you should be proxying with the thought of, like, I'm never going to buy this card. Yeah, and that's
0: that's also going to upset – I mean, it ultimately does come down to your playgroup. Because if everyone in your playgroup is like, oh, yeah, everyone proxies all the time and that's just the established rule, that's great. But don't expect that to stretch out beyond your playgroup. Because I think there is – in the same way that people like getting EDH foils and that sort of – that market of, like, making their decks pretty and pimped out – there is like this kind of purity that goes along with a 100 card singleton deck and having all the cards in it.
3: It's also it's called a collectible card game. You know, the collectible part is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Right? It's acquiring the cards. So, like I said earlier at the very start of the discussion is that's part of the fun. It is part of the headache, but it's also part of the fun. So, yeah. and and like Jimmy said, like if you're in an LGS, if somebody's proxying out stuff like I'm not going to call him out on it if it's, like, one deck and it's one card. But if some guy's proxying, like, his whole deck or whatever, like, eh, it just – it doesn't seem fair. And it doesn't I don't seem know like why. you're actually – you're not playing the same game at that yeah, point. Yeah, you, yeah. you could you could have just gone and
0: gotten the deck list and been like, all right, great. I can throw these expensive cards in there just because I can proxy. Right. Instead of, like, what you said, Jason, they're like Grave Pact and Dictative Airbus, like we talked about earlier today. It's essentially an identical card, and one has actually more upside and is way cheaper.
3: All right. So, I, I – Boy, it's shocking that the finance guy wasn't into proxies. But, you know, we, don't, we aren't <laughs> right. either. Yeah. yeah. We, we aren't either. Okay. All right. We're going to wrap up finance. There's clearly... We just barely tip of the iceberg here. Yeah. But it's an ongoing
0: discussion. It's a
3: huge thing. I would, I would really recommend going to Brainstorm Brewery, uh, their podcast. Um, there's, you know, Jason and a number of other people that are really into finance and really know a lot about it. And they don't talk about EDH specifically the whole time, but they do sometimes. And also, you learn so much just about finance in general. Like, mm-hmm. you know, EDH is what we're interested in but all the lessons from the other formats are still applicable to you so i would definitely say like if you're more interested in finance or you just want to min max you know your investment into this game brainstorm brewery is a great place to go obviously jason has a bunch of um articles and such about this Mm -hmm. you know he knows a ton about it so maybe we'll have him back on sometime and uh we can answer some more questions definitely
2: what i will say about brainstorm brewery it's not a hardcore finance podcast I think the, the thrust lately, um, we kind of realized the finance community really wasn't that into Brainstorm Brewery. And so we were like, well, what's our audience? Our audience is people that are like you and don't want to pay too much for cards right, or right. sell for too little because they did it at the wrong time. Right. It's It can be a complicated process. We're sort of demystifying uh, the process for people. So if you're not really a hardcore finance person, but you're somebody that doesn't want to you know, feel like you made a financial mistake and like, oh, that card went to this much and ah, or it, you know, why didn't I buy it when it was mm-hmm. cheaper? That's sort of what we help with. So I, I think, um, our podcast really appeals outside of the finance community yeah I think more than it does within the finance community.
3: Yeah, I think that's good because most people don't want to you know, it's awesome that you make your living selling magic cards. Most people don't actually want to go to that level. They want to just this is their hobby and they want to, you know They want it, to save they money. want to do it efficiently. Yeah. But they don't want to do that for a living. So they don't want to go to the levels that a hardcore finance person is. So that's why I think the castism, you know, the brainstorm brewery is, is really great is because it's it is casual. It does apply to like your average player. It yeah. doesn't just apply to like people who want to be like really deep in the finance yeah. part of the game? Yeah, yeah,
0: we always forget this, and we like to mention it a lot. But it's like ninety five percent of Magic players are are the kitchen table players. You know, like at least that's yeah, what that's it our feels. audience. Yeah, it feels that's the I mean, and like you can get as serious as you want, but ultimately I think you have to find the balance. And I am glad that Branson Brewery does make it easy for someone that that isn't trying to you know go full in and become a stock investor and buy you know cards for specifically that
2: it is more broad broad appealing. Yeah that's that's what we try for and uh I feel like the feedback we've gotten from people is like what you've done is you've demystified a complicated process for us. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it and uh kudos. Yeah, big kudos. But we're not
3: quite done. Because right. Jason is actually well known for something we've talked about on this podcast, we've touched on it a couple times. We didn't actually know it was attributable attributable to you, Jason. So I apologize. No, like isn't that crazy though? It is crazy. It's become a thing. So In addition to finance, this has nothing to do with finance, really. um, (laughs) You've had a pretty big impact on the EDH community, and it's the 75%
2: theory. I don't even know ethos, like deck building guidelines. um, It's a a series I write for Gathering Magic.
3: So do you want to explain it really quick?
2: Okay, so how this came about was um, Adam Staborski from uh, GatheringMagic.com was our guest on Brainstorm Brewery. And after we got done recording, um, one of my co-hosts, Corbin, was talking about his Shroom deck. And I just made the offhanded comment, like, oh, I can never get Shroom the way I want it. Because Shroom (laughs) is either, I'm like...
3: Either it's awesome. Yeah, yeah,
2: either you're like killing everybody with Bitter Ordeal, or you're dirtling. And I was... I-, I tuned it down to the point where I was dirtling and just like, Oh, I keep whiffing on trying to kill people. <laughs> I can take infinite turns and deck myself sometimes. So it's <laughs> like, it was, um, I was like, I kind of like it, my EDH decks to be sort of 75% of full power. Mm-hmm. And that was just, that was just a term I threw out. I'm sort of like if, if a completely tuned up deck is a hundred percent and like an out of the box pre-con or a kind of, like my Ramirez De Pietro pirate themed deck, you know, is about fifty percent. <laughs> right, it's not even trying, like to win, it's trying to win. It's just trying. A forests is a zero percent. <laughs> I kind of like. Uh, I kind of like my deck to be about seventy five percent. I don't want to. I don't want to go full throttle. Right. Um, but a seventy five percent deck is still capable of beating a hundred percent tune deck. Oh,
0: absolutely. Because there's
2: there's luck in EDH, and there's other players helping you do stuff, and there's there's playing tight. Because I I like to win because I played tight. So Adam happened to be, you know, my uh, the guy I reported to on Gathering Magic, and I was writing an unpopular series called Who to Follow back then. Uh, sort of like, I don't really think that Reed Duke needs the case to be made for him to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> so no one was reading Who to Follow because everyone's like, great, we know. Great. Follow Pat Chapin. Really, Jason? Thanks. <laughs> Which was great when, like, I would write about somebody and, like, Adrian Sullivan came up to me at Gen Con. He was like, I read what you wrote in that Who to Follow that was that was really nice. Everything you said was really complimentary. Thank you for that. So it was great for me for like a year of networking because everybody I wrote about was like knows me now. So that was cool. But like none of the readers cared. So Adam's (laughs) like, "Uh, I kind of want you to write something else anyway. And I don't want to fire you, but I need you to write something that people are going to read. And so I was like, well, I like writing about EDH, but you've gathering magic's got a lot of edh writers so what do i have that's unique and he's like well how about what you were talking about wanting your edh decks to be like 75 percent? and i never even really thought about it because i was just sort of building Mm -hmm. right so if you read the first few 75 percent articles they're all archived on gatheringmagic.com uh you just type in either my name or you know i'm i've got a new one weekly so you can just click on my name there and, and find all the old ones uh, the first few of them, I was sort of, like, discovering why that it actually worked. I was like, huh, when you play stuff like Bribery, uh, your your deck is going to be sort of tuned to the power of level of their deck. Right. By virtue of, like, if you're playing Bribery on somebody and they have an Ulamog in there, you have an Ulamog.
1: Mm-hmm, right. And if
2: you play a Bribery on somebody and the best card of their deck is, like, Hellkite Tyrant or something like that, <laughs> then you've got a Hellkite, and they can probably deal with the Hellkite Tyrant.
3: Right, if their deck has an Ulamog, then it's tuned to that power level. Yeah, yeah. and their
2: deck is probably capable of dealing with an Ulamog. I'm like, huh, that's a good way to... And this was like me discovering stuff about Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. So I'm sure I didn't come up with the concept of not building the antisocial hermit druid $2,500 deck. (laughs) You know, it, it, EDH doesn't have to be one-on-one, French, super competitive. Right. It it's, should, a, yeah, it's a social – but... I mean, it can. I, I can see the the benefits. But if you're playing a multiplayer game and everyone's got the expectation of having fun and doing something dirtily and just, you know, having the big board states and the stuff that we love about EDH, you know, mm-hmm. if your expectation is that, you don't necessarily want to be cutthroat. So I'm not the first person to come up with that but I, I think that the term 75% is um is something i just came up with you know offhanded but i i think it's it's kind of evocative and i think people kind of understand what i mean it means yeah. not 100% it means not quite fully there yeah and so, it really
0: does do yeah. the what a lot of people are asking about and something that we're actually going to talk about in the future episode but it's the the power level you know it's like is how how do you play a game that's about having a lot of people and having a lot of fun and not break it in a way that makes it unfun for other people but still gives you a legitimate shot at winning and doing well
2: so every once in a while i would come up with like a a new not i don't want to say a rule because i'm not telling people i'm not the police right i'm not telling people how to live their life i'm just providing maybe some some deck building guidelines Mm -hmm. and so some of the guidelines were sort of like uh you know oh the scaling spells uh, help you kind of have your power level sort of near the power level of their deck. Um, I think the rule number 2 is the, the the one that most people get wrong if they they're like oh I don't like 75% decks cuz you take a good deck and make it worse. Uh, rule number 2 is start weak and improve the deck. Never so you're always making it better, right.
3: Yeah, but so it, don't take it's your old just, decks and detune them. Yeah. Just build new decks. Yeah. Yeah, that makes um, sense.
2: I think you can skew powerful if you accordingly ske- uh, skew away from consistency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I, I think tutors are, I don't know, tutors kind of homogenize your game experience. Um, and homogeneity is, is of experience is something that I try to steer away from uh, in 75% decks. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to, to sort of make it so you can have a powerful deck that does powerful stuff and doesn't feel weak. But you're not going to do the same thing every game. Like if you're playing Edric and you're doing cool, fun stuff and everyone's having a good time and like you win by like Cyclonic rifting everybody out and just smacking them with like a giant lower scale coaddle, everyone's going to (laughs) have a good time, right? Right. Yeah. But if every single game you're decking yourself and then winning with Lab Maniac every single time, it's going to get really boring and it's going to get boring for you. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think if you skew away from power or skew toward power but away but from consistency? You away from yeah. consistency, it's well, going gonna, gonna to be better.
0: That, and the other thing is, like, you can also put tutors in your deck, but just know that, like, you know, I'm not necessarily always going to look for the same thing each time. You can build a toolbox deck that's like, all right, a given A toolbox this, is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a tutor in that case doesn't make your deck consistent in the way that you're always winning with Lab Maniac, you know?
2: Well, I actually... I, I wrote that I like face-up tutors. Because I think um, Benny Smith wrote an article a, a few years ago about why he was taking all the tutors out of his deck. And I think really the biggest problem was it's like your demonic tutor type spells where you're getting something face down and like laughing.
3: You know? <laughs> they don't know what it is.
2: Yeah. If you're tutoring face up, like I like instant speed face up tutors. Like in Mayel, if you have a worldly tutor... That you can pop something on top and then mail it into play, like uh-huh. as a response. You know, I think I think that's cool and I, yeah. I think that's fun, but I think using your worldly tutor to get your Ulamog every single game is going to be kind of lame. So I, I like yeah. I like toolboxy type tutor stuff. I don't really like homogeneity, and I, I think the article that made me think about homogeneity was I realized if I had like Zagana as my general, I was just going to draw like. 14 cards mm-hmm. a turn every turn and then i'm going to win the same way because i'm going to get the same cards so um i, I liked having a, a more varied game experience where you're going to have to win with the cards you have as opposed to having access to your whole deck or having access to any one card through tutoring right. so i think there are, it's tough to make a powerful 75 percent deck you know and i, I like the challenge So taking a strong deck and making it weak seems like a real easy way to make a 75% deck. And I think that turns people off to the idea. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't want to do that either. It's challenging to make a deck that... And I think the acid test for a 75% deck is, can you play it with, you know, a casual group and not win every game? Uh, I think if you win one out of every X games where X is the number of players at the table, then your deck's about tuned right. And um, if you can beat somebody that's playing their, leg, their deck they're proud of, mm-hmm. if they're playing tight, getting a little bit lucky, just playing well, and the deck doing what it's supposed to, if you can beat anybody with the deck, then I think it's 75%. I think if you detune a good deck, it's not 75% because you're not going to be able to beat a good deck because you just weakened it. So it's it's a, it's a little tougher to build a 75% deck than some people might think but I think it's worth it because I don't like having decks I can't play. Right. If I'm playing with my group of my casual group of friends, I don't like, oh, well, this deck's too good for you. I'm not going to play it. I don't like having decks I can't play. And I don't like having, you know, I am I keep trying to get my Vorel deck up to speed because every time I play with people that are playing with their, like, you know, super tuned decks that they're proud of, I want my Vorel deck to be able to hang. I don't want it to sit in my backpack because it's not good enough. So I think most of my decks are around 75% just because I like to, in any situation, play with any deck. And I also like to go into unknown situations. Right. Because people, you know, recognize me from Brainstorm Brewery or from uh, from writing the articles. And they want to play EDH with me when I'm at GPs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's, so it's actually... sitting down with someone I've never played before, I want to just have a deck that I, it's not going to either have no chance of winning or have no chance of losing
0: right it's actually interesting because you know the homogeneity that you don't like within the decks actually is something that you have across your 75 percent decks because it means that you're gonna have a consistent fun experience because you're not necessarily playing like you said a deck that's gonna win all the time or lose all the time you actually are always going to be faced with a challenge one way or the other and making it work i think is part of the fun of commander and that's why i'm guessing you enjoy toolbox so much as well
2: yeah I just i like always having a chance and the toolbox always gives you a chance you know if you've got answers in your deck
0: yeah like glenn jones had that awesome dredge deck that he was playing with that definitely wasn't you know it wasn't broken by any means it wasn't going to win every game but it could always hang and it would always try its best to you know make it through the game by dredging everything up and, and trying to combo something together in the like last hopes of maybe being able to eke out a win but if it didn't happen it didn't happen but you would always have a really good time trying to get it there so
2: yeah um and I think the the most challenging uh decks I've built are the ones where it just looks like um it looks like there's no way to do it like I, I haven't tackled sheroom yet I'm sure I will someday but uh I think Jimmy you said you were a um a Rafiq player yes and uh, Rafik is, is just one of those decks that I'm like, I think I could build a 75% Rafiq deck, but I almost don't want to bother. <laughs> because I think it, when people see Rafiq on your mat, they are not going to treat you like a 75% player. Yeah. They're going to treat you like a Rafiq player, and they're just going to swing for the fence. So you may as well have all the tools at your disposal. So there's some <laughs> there's some generals where you probably just don't want to bother just because... Telling people, oh, it's a 75% deck. And they're like, ah, you were fake. I'm still going to bash you. Yeah.
0: Kali of the Vast is not a 75% general, though. And you're like, yeah, I know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're that's like, it. That's oh, but don't worry. I'm going to do nice stuff. And they're like, no, we're just going to kill you yeah. because you're playing Kelly. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it doesn't work for every general, but like, I have a 75% male deck. I have, uh, you know, 75% Riku deck, stuff like that. Uh, generals that people aren't. And another way that I, I like to do it is, um, if you can n- low, uh, like shrink your card pool, you can have access to all the best cards in that pool, but you're not going to have the same deck as everybody else. Like, I built a, um, uh, a Jaleva Voltron deck. <laughs> that sounds so bizarre. I love right? it. That's great. And, like, Nekusar Zombie Tribal. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Like some guy was like, "When I play my Talran deck, my wife cries because I counter everything." I'm like, "Well, don't make your wife cry, dude. How about you just make some more Drakes and then make a Drake Tribal deck?" And he's like, "Oh, she's crying less. It's great." Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you hear something like that, you're like, "Wow, I think this is this is really catching on as a as an ethos." So I I think that's been really gratifying when people tell me, either, "Hey, this is how I've always built," and I'm glad it has a name. Mm-hmm. or they tell me you know i kind of thought about how i look at uh how i build and some of the reasons i make some of the choices i make and it, it's really helped me improve as a deck builder or they tell me hey i started with your rules and built totally from the ground up and this is what i ended up with and i look at it i'm like that that's what you want to be doing so it's it's been really gratifying and i'm i'm glad you guys um enjoyed the series too because it's it's been great to write and i think just having somebody sort of write out why you make some of the choices you make and, and it was it, it honestly it was always occurring to me as I was writing it i was like this is something i've always done but i've never thought about why i did it and this this makes perfect sense to me so it, it, i like would get an epiphany every day that i would write a new article and it's that's been really great so the whole thing's been um, the whole thing's been really gratifying i've i've really enjoyed writing it
0: yeah I, I i definitely can agree with that just because it's it, it directly influences your playgroup and how you play and whether or not you're having fun when you play commander because there are a lot of ways not to have fun when you play commander and you know this is something that we're going to delve deeper into in future episodes as well but i think I th- it's
3: kind of the big boogeyman of the format it's the thing that everybody talks about it's people either get that or they don't i mean mm-hmm. spikes don't get it pros don't get it um you know a lot of people don't get that because There's this social contract of the power level of your deck and and all this stuff, um, you know. So the fact that you've sort of laid out some groundwork as far as, like, how to start thinking about it and how to sort of philosophically, you know, approach it is – I can understand why people find that really helpful. Um, It's just – it's probably the most asked question that we get. Yeah. Which is, like, how do you deal with everybody's different personality and everybody's, you know – got this threshold for what they think is fun and what they think is not and what they think is oppressive and what they think is too powerful and like each person individually is on a different level for what they think is okay in all of those categories and it makes it a really big moving target Mm -hmm. for people so you know the fact that we can sort of all start to come to some sort of consensus uh, you know I think that resonates people really they like that so I can understand why the series has been popular and why the idea is sort of catching
0: fire. Yeah, definitely. If you guys want to find out more about that, just make sure you go to the show notes. Uh, It's going to be in our iTunes description as well as on the website. And we'll have links to all of Jason's stuff. So you can go check out his articles on the 75% as well as the uh, Brainstorm Brewery
2: podcast and all the finance details.
3: So cool. Jason, man, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. This was a good time. I always love feeling like I'm making finance Feel a little easier to grasp for people. And anytime I get a chance to talk about 75% ADH, um, I'm always down.
0: Oh, yeah. And we'll definitely have to play uh, in Vegas.
3: Uh, oh, yeah. We're going to meet up with you guys in Vegas for no, sure. We'll At B dubs. I told you already. <laughs> Jeez. We already have plans. I'm making reservations. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Oh, you know what? Let's actually announce the winners now from the overperformers episode because we're right at the end here. And oh yeah, sure, I'm sure there's some people sitting around that's my waiting. Drum roll. Yeah, if you commented
3: in the comment section of the overperformers episode, then start paying attention now. Right now, congratulations
0: to Pedro Ramos. Come on down, Daniel Kirkland, and Tom Cezidio. I think I, said I think anyway. that's an L. It's
3: S-Z-Y-D-L-O. Tom, that's your last name. Tom, that's a crazy
0: cool last name. It could almost be a magic card, I feel. Um, Now, these
3: people will will have to email us because they commented in the comment section, so we don't have their email address. So, So email us us at commandcast at rocketjump.com. You can find that in the show notes, and uh, we're going to get your address, and we'll send you out some awesome prizes. Hopefully, in time for Christmas, but that just depends on how fast you email us. Um, Jimmy. Yeah. I want to give you a big congratulations. Oh. Thanks. Your Indiegogo campaign for the new web series Band Aid. It's a success. Woohoo. I'm stoked! It's a win for Turn everybody. Turn the confetti
0: machine back on. Let's get it going. Uh, yeah, we uh, we passed our funding goal. I'm gonna make a web series early next year, and it's gonna release probably sometime in the summer. Musical comedy. Uh, maybe we'll get some Magic the Gathering references in there too. I'm sure something will make its way in. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm really glad. Thank you, everyone. If you did come from this podcast to go donate, then. Thank you very much as well. So yeah, pretty
3: awesome. What was the total amount raised? Sixty-two thousand
0: out of fifty-two. Pretty sweet. I'm probably gonna have to still realistically get another thirty to forty from independent financiers, uh, just because.
3: You can. What you can do is you can start specking on magic cards right now. Right now?
0: Yeah. Okay. And uh, then I'm
3: pretty sure you'll be able to raise that amount of money in time.
0: Jason, do you have like a thousand foil chromatic lanterns I can buy off you?
2: I only wish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I right. think you might. Be waiting uh, until Band Aid season three. Yeah. To, uh, be selling out of those anyway.
3: I like your confidence, Band Aid yeah. season three. You Thanks. heard it here first. <laughs> Sounds um, about right. As usual, we want to encourage you to go check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Uh, ben Bateman, Alex Kessler, great hosts on that show. Actually, their last episode um, talked about some good tournament habits to have, mm-hmm. and I found it super educational. So check that out. Uh, you know guys if you listen to the show we've had a lot of great response we could use some iTunes reviews Um, oh yes if you like the show go on to iTunes give us a good review you know it helps us it helps the show get out there it helps us keep uh, getting awesome product from Wizards that we can pass along to you guys Yep. it's just good for the show in general so putting that out there and make
0: sure you're also subscribed to the iTunes RSS feed Uh, that'll help us just in general having more people on that instead of listening to the website and of course as always we do video content so every episode has a video that has text and images as we talk about the cards so that you can watch along and read along.
1: All
3: right. Jason, thanks again. Um, you want to hit us with your Twitter, Jason, so we can everybody can know how to find you?
2: Yes, my Twitter is at JasonEALT. Alt. Alt, like alternative A-L-T. That's correct. Very nice. All
3: right, guys. Thanks for listening.
0: And we will see you next time.
1: Peace. Thank you for your attention.
3: For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com
1: or ask us on Twitter at J.F. Wong and at Josh Lee Quai. See you later, alligator.
3: Greetings, humans.
0: <laughs> <laughs>